Alright, and welcome back. It is Channel 33's one year anniversary of the creation of the podcast. There's been a few little changes over time. I'm here in person with Morgan. Hello. And I've actually got uh, on the phone uh, is co-creator, instigator, emancipator, proclamator, Corwin. Say hi, Corwin. Hi, Corwin. <laughs> so do you remember how we started this? <laughs> um, tonight or just in general? <laughs> In general. In general. Uh, <laughs> uh, tonight, no. But in general, yes. Um, I've had a few drinks. Uh, it was the height of the pandemic. I was jobless. Uh, I was either jobless or I just started a job. And I needed something to keep me occupied. And I was like, I kept thinking, like, man, that Fabian guy was pretty cool. I like Fabian. Maybe I should hit Fabian up. Is that weird? It's so weird to make. It's so hard to make friends as an, as an adult. Is it? Is it awkward? So after a couple of days of me of me struggling with that decision, I was finally like, "Hey, you want to do a podcast, or you want to do something creative?" I can't. I can't remember specifics oh, there. I specifically remember but, you and I had chit chatted about having interest in podcasts and recommended podcasts to each other all the way back when we worked at Walgreens together. And yes. then I think it's somewhere at like post Walgreens, we like said, Hey, what's up, man? How's life? Oh, you're an actual person outside of the store. And we maybe batted back and forth the idea of ever doing a podcast. And you messaged me and said, when are we going to do that podcast together? And almost immediately you, you were like, let's do it tomorrow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's kind of how it started. Yeah, I was a. And how far we come? I was in an odd place in life. Um, I was packing all my shit um, to get moved out to my own place. My marriage was at uh, peak. Oh God, what would you even call it? Like meltdown, critical mass. It was not great. It was bad, and I was in a just a constant state of stressed outness. Like every time I walked into that house, it was. Full on eggshells, kung fu, just um, animosity. Just there was not a down moment. There was not a relaxation point. And um, it's hard for me to actually look back from where I'm at now and look back at that environment and that state and and relate to it. Because uh, my life is 100% different. There's almost nothing in my day-to-day -day life or of like a, emotional chemistry and ecosystem that is the same. Like I recently had, um, and you're different too. Like you're a different person, not entirely, but, um, but, but that you're, makes you're not. Yeah, yeah, that makes you a different person. Is the things that are around you, right? But now it's it's fantastic. And whenever you sent that, like I that that message, one reason I was so like, yes, let's do it tomorrow, is because I'd wanted to do it forever, and I had the equipment to do it. I'd bought. I'd actually done. A first run of Channel 33 pre-pandemic and got like four or five episodes in and then the world fell apart and you couldn't have like people over to your house to to record. And uh, and so I had everything that I needed to, to do it I, and enough time had gone by that it seemed reasonable to do it over Zoom or something like that. And um, And that was the nudge that I needed. And I often yeah. end up that way where I have everything I need to do something, but doing it alone is not interesting. I I need to 
a witness or a participant or it's just life is better shared yeah like if you do something and nobody's around to see it like fall in the woods uh does it happen does it matter yeah so and i i think it it was weird that uh like we just i've always appreciated the fact that we were both in exactly the right mindset that when the connection happened it was immediate let's fucking go yeah because it maybe if i if i'd messaged you a week earlier or if i'd messaged you a week later you might not have been quite so like hey let's let's go so yeah. i don't know and later is one of those things like the horizon you never reach later so if you label something later like oh i'll, I'll save my money later i'll go to call go back to college later I'll reach the sunset later. Like those things are always in the distance. That's physically how that right. shit works. Um, and with Morgan, it was kind of funny to me that like, it was really just, we were looking for guests. Like I'd listened to her podcast, but then it just kind of worked out that there's chemistry here. Like our little, our little merry-go-round of chit chat chatter and ideas just kind of works. And it's, a, yeah. a, um, I think it's a, a nice compliment to what, because I think you and me have this kind of like, I wouldn't say like just nerdy, nostalgia, um, ex-manager thing, but like you and I are enough alike that it's nice to have somebody that's different than us. Female. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I wasn't going to go all gendery with it, but yeah, <laughs> yes. I think there's too many podcasts that have like two dudes just trying to make each other chuckle. I'm not that into that. And who who does that appeal to? Uh, people just exactly like those two dudes. Yes. So. One person. Yeah. One subscriber. <laughs> I mean, do we only have one subscriber? No. Yeah, I know actually, I'm subscribed. Yeah, they're doing all right. So I looked at the the um the analytics on the app and uh we actually have two five-star reviews on apple podcasts what which considering i've never shared this with anyone ever anywhere like other than the people that have been on it um and i guess it does pop up in like new podcasts like uh, feeds i guess somewhere on different right. apps but um the one from the other day had 10 plays on the 30th which is cool and uh i'll tell you what i told fabian because he hasn't has yet to, to do it yet. Um, if you go to, it's not an app, but you type in um, Spotify for podcasters, you can claim your podcast. And um, like I have claimed um, all of mine, but it'll, um, like it shows on mine how many, it'll show how far, how many people, how many people and how far they listen into your podcast, how many listeners you have, how many subscribers you have how many plays where they don't listen under 30, under 60 seconds and over 60 and then your like demographics and everything listed so that's cool yeah so wow they give you a lot of the, they give you a lot of the metrics right there at your fingertips so you can really find out like what people are wanting to listen to exactly so does it tell you does it tell you where they hit the skip button to get past the uh, the advertisements <laughs> Because I'm yeah. always like, 
are they paying attention to this? Are they losing revenue? Because I'm just hitting like skip 30 seconds whenever they start talking about Raid Shadow Legends or something. Well, that's a good question. Like, if because you have the um, ability to monetize your podcast on Anchor, if you guys um, wanted to just make a simple podcast and or a, episode, a commercial and do what they ask. Um, but I don't know as far as like if that ad plays on Spotify if you get paid for that ad. If that makes any hmm. sense. I don't know if it has to be played on yeah. Anchor because Anchor keeps up with how much you make, which is why I think I've made only $4 in however many, you know, all of uh, COVID. But, oh. Oh. yeah. So I think it has to be it's played like those on Anchor. Yeah, and like I, the site that I was using to host my podcast that I don't use anymore, it's like $30 a month, but once you hit um, 80,000 uh, downloads a month, then you can monetize it. That's a well, lot. That's but, a lot. But Anchor, what they do, uh, we really should make the Anchor commercial. We should do that very soon, actually, because I really do like Anchor. Um, it's this, this episode brought to you by Anchor. Totally. That, yeah. like that. Well, yeah. they'll do that, but then once you do have, have actual um, stuff, they will tailor their commercials to you so you can do advertisements for other companies. Yeah, so the way that they pay is $15 per thousand plays. And uh, so far, we have 389 total plays with an estimated audience of 12, mm. which it was 11 <laughs> yesterday. Huh? Um, and hey. Hey, So we have 87% of our audience is in the U.S. 5% is in Germany. That means literally someone in Germany has hit play on it. Two mm -hmm. um, The Germans also spend like 16 hours a day playing like Euro truck driver simulator and train we're, simulator. We're perfect so, for them. You're right. So also 2% uh, in the UK, 1% in Canada, and 1% in Ireland. Um, we also are popular mostly with 28 to 34 year olds, which is 40% of our listening audience, but then 35 to 45, half of our audience is that age range, which is pretty much us. Yeah. Um, Morgan's right. a little we're, under the wire there. Um, we're, we're appealing to it us. It also shows <laughs> and your, your listening platforms, mm -hmm. people. And, uh, 77% of our audience is female. 2% is non-binary, and I like that. And then, nice. Uh, like Morgan said, it shows us our listening platforms. 40% are on Apple Podcast, 11% on Spotify, and 5% on Overcast, whatever that service is, never heard of it. And then 5% on Anchor, hmm. uh, which I've just the other day I looked at Anchor app, and it lets you discover new podcasts. I was like, I should actually browse this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. One other thing that I had on mind is coming up is New Year's. Like, it's early December right now, so I'm not going to ask about New Year's resolutions that anybody might have because it's not really that you know that vibe yet. But curiosity, are you guys New Year's resolutions people or not? Or what do you think? Morgan. So I think it was either last year or the year before on my blog I wrote a post about realistic resolutions and... Um, and instead of putting like those lose, I mean, the basic, the ones that people do every year, like go on a diet or do this or, um, I don't know, cliche, mm -hmm. uh, resolutions was to make ones that were smaller and, um, more realistic, but, um, I, I couldn't tell you, I made a list of 10, but I couldn't tell you what they were, but I would go back every, the next year, I've done it twice 
Um, the first year, I didn't do any of them. <laughs> um, second one, I think one of them was to make a podcast. And so here, I've done that a few, yeah. quite a few times. Um, but I'm uh, probably going to do the same thing. I don't know. Um, maybe I'll shorten the list and make it more realistic. But uh, Speaking of realistic, Corwin, do you remember the acronym for SMART goals? Uh, Pop simple, quiz, hot shot. Simple, measurable. Uh, achievable. 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 Uh, realistic. Re- realistic. And to, timely. To, timely. Okay. Yeah, I, I could not remember the first two, actually. Thank you. Um, but I think that's a I good, think it's simple. That's probably a better way, Morgan, to go with New Year's resolutions. I think. Um, the magic in them sometimes is like the, the grandiose dreaming, like, girl, this is going to be my year. Oh my God. Um, and I think maybe we set ourselves up for failure with that. And that's why sometimes New Year's resolutions are kind of like bittersweet. It's like this shit that we're going to wish for, but it's as, you know, as, as effective as throwing a coin in a well. Uh, Corwin, what about you? I've never really given any special power to the whole New Year's day. But it does feel like I make a New Year's re- re- a New Year's resolution to change my entire life tomorrow. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. And then tomorrow never. It's never tomorrow. Yeah. It's, it's always today. And well, you know, ah, that's for tomorrow. So I found uh, that post. It's short. Can I read it? Absolutely. This is for last year. Um, it says. So, eating disorder, OCD, anxiety, panic disorder, depression. For years, I've let these voices, fears, and nervousness plan my day, what I eat, how much I sleep, my relationships, my health, and my happiness. So, I've decided to challenge myself this year and set a few realistic goals to gain back control of my life. Number one, get a new hobby. So, I would, I think my podcast was that. Number two is funny. Stop parking in the same parking spot at Walmart. If I lose my car for a second, I'm going to be okay. Because that's a, that's a fear of mine. Buy groceries without yep. checking in the calories on the back. I've I've got that one under control. Learn to cook. Eat what I cook. Boom, boom. We're done that one, Fabian. Throw away, my, throw away my skinny enough jeans. That's happened. Go for walks, hikes, swims. Embrace life outside of my securities. I think I've done that. Be grateful for little things, big things I have in my life. Stop wasting precious time and start appreciating the life I was given. I would say that wow. I've, um, I've, uh, I think I've, re- I've, uh, for the most part, to some degree, uh, fulfilled all those. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm really happy for you. Yeah. Like, your life yeah, reflects a lot of that. And those are some pretty big goals, and you've you've achieved them. Now you just have to maintain them for the rest of your life until you die. <laughs> Girl, this was your year. <laughs> You're done. Effort over. Actually, that's something I've been struggling with lately, like this last couple of weeks, and it took me a while. Like I, I talk to my therapist every week, and I had to figure out how to put this feeling into words, and so I had to figure out what the feeling was coming from. And things in my life have improved. And then I started to like let them lapse. Like I all of a sudden I locked up and wasn't pushing them or, or even just in basic ways. It was weird. And it was so much effort just to do the things I've been doing. 
And I was wondering what this is. It's like a kid inside me pouting. I had to figure out what the fuck is going on with me. And what I could best decipher is that there's a part of me that feels like when you work hard and you achieve something and you get yourself into a better position in life, it's as if the task is done. So it's kind of like, we're here. I can stop throwing fucking firewood into the locomotive engine, right? And stop shoveling coal into the fucking burning hot furnace, and I can just chill, right? But that's not but how no. it works. <laughs> rent, you have to keep shoveling the coal. Rent is due to... every day. <laughs> yes, pretty much. And I think that's the hardest part, especially for, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not in y'all's heads, but I think that's the one of the hardest parts for people like us is just you know, once you get it, once you're done, some things you have to keep doing. And then you just kind of turn into this, like, fuck, this is the rest of my life. Shit. I have to keep doing this thing that made me happy. Paying no attention to the rewards you got from the thing you did and are doing. You're weighing, you're giving the, the effort you're putting into it all the weight for a little bit. And then you, you end up back in the same cycle. So it's kind of like an, an Ouroboros. I think that's the, yeah. the word for it, like the snake eating its tail. Yeah. So you cool. get trapped in that for you, cycle. For you, Corwin, speaking of cycles, compared to you where you were a year ago, do you feel, you know how they say, uh, there's a Mark Twain quote, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Do you feel that where you're at right now, in some layer or level or dimension, um, not dimension like dimension X, but like dimension as in like height, width, length kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. In some way, do you feel like you're in a different place? Like you've broken out of a cycle? Or do you find your moment rhyming with where you were a year ago? Well, I mean, for height, width, all that good stuff, my, my width is a little bit smaller, which I, I appreciate. <laughs> but other than that... Uh, now, um, I don't know. I've lost lost some weight. Uh, not, still not back to where I am in my head, where I'm a, the high, I'm the skinny high school kid anymore. Um, Your internal avatar. And yeah, yeah. Like it's still not matching what's in my head to what's in the mirror. Um, okay. And we're, you know, I'm a little more financially secure now other than that it it seems very similar (laughs) interesting like i I haven't taken i haven't taken all those steps that like the kinds of things that morgan's done i admire i both admire and envy Mm because i don't i don't really think that i've i've done that part of uh part of that was me you know i kind of I mean, we all kind of took a break from the podcast there for a little bit, but, uh, you know, I, I was definitely just not feeling it because it felt like the podcast had become this thing thrown on the pile. And then I, I listened back to, uh, an episode, I think he called it, uh, back from summer vacation or back from summer break, Mm uh, with just, uh, with just Morgan and Fabian talking and i was listening to it and listening to you guys talk and i was like oh wait i like to do this 
I need to get back into doing this. This doesn't have to be a, this isn't a, a wait. This is a thing to make the wait easier. So I'm, I think I'm in the middle of trying to take my own tail out of my mouth and start making some progress. Well said. It's kind of where I'm at. Well said. Wow. Yeah, one of my favorite, one of my favorite things about the podcast is that through uh, somewhere, I wish I remembered where I heard this quote, speech is a form of thought. So things can echo inside your head, and when you can finally put them into words, it's very cathartic because I feel like that's part of the processing process. So um, whenever we have these talks and we do these episodes, and I always listen back to them, I'm fascinated by what it was we said. And if you talk around something, it's obvious. If you're – like there are times whenever I make a reference to something, but I don't want to go into detail – it's clearly me flinching, and I don't want to flinch. I want the catharsis of connecting to whatever imaginary audience or whatever real audience, because I know whatever flaws or insecurities or things that I feel, we likely mostly all feel. It's like the comedy, um, whenever they talk about these things that make you laugh the hardest, it's the most personal shit. The more personal and, oh my god, I thought I was the only one. The more you get of that in the joke, and they, they tell it as a joke so it's, it breaks the ice. Shit, sorry. sorry. <laughs> the more you're able to be that real and that bulletproof cavalier attitude, the more of a, of a of the, the um, laugh you get, the more high you get, the more connection you get. And I feel like this process of the podcast... I'm able to see those flinches more and I love leaning into them or learning how I don't necessarily have that down, but I can definitely start to count, call myself on my bullshit whenever I see myself. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to go too much into that or I'm not going to answer that question 110%. Um, when I, but whenever I think about where I was a year ago um, and to where I am now, and whether it's it rhymes, like I was saying, uh, it's vastly different. I've removed so much toxic shit out of my life and toxic people. And I do try and be more direct. And whenever I have something on my mind, I do try and just go ahead and address it in the moment. But then sometimes I don't. And it makes it uncomfortable for me and the other person. Um, there, one, thing, one joke I used to say was, um, the hardest part of your second marriage is realizing you were the asshole the first time. And... <laughs> Now that I've ha I'm out of my second marriage, um, I'm still very much aware of, uh, and actually differently aware, of the ways that, oh, I was my own troublemaker. So, like, in my relationship now, there are times whenever I will let myself get away from myself in the sense of, if I have a point to make and I feel like I'm not being heard, or maybe I feel like I have to make this point um, real passionately, and in my mind, I justify it as me standing up for myself or me being heard but there's a part of me that's really just trying to like kung fu shut down the other person and that's not fair that's not actual genuine communication that's like fuckery that's not how you really want to live and so even now with all these things i've removed out of my life that i thought were the problem that i thought were the stressors that i thought brought out the worst side of me they're gone like i have fucking aced shutting that door now it's just me 
how do I take that stuff out of me? And that's where I'm at. So I can see, I can relate a little bit of like, like, like for you, when you talked about the podcast felt like another thing on the pile. The real question is, Corwin, why is there always a pile? I'm not prepared to answer that right? today. I, don't <laughs> think. I, I, I didn't study for this test. But, <laughs> but my point being is like, yeah. over time, as we talk about these conversations, little things like that catch my ear. And I think, oh, there's the catharsis. Because you know what? I always have a pile. And it makes me uncomfortable. And it makes, like I was telling my brother. So my brother commissioned me, actually, to record a song. He used to be a bouncer at a bar. And in 2012, he saw a band called Ionia. And he bought their CD and lost it. But there was a song he loved on there. And it finally showed up on YouTube. Somebody, somewhere, with CD, uploaded it to YouTube. And so he sent me a link and said, man, I'll pay you to cover this and rewrite it in your style. And so I've been working on it the last couple of days, like sitting down finally. And I paid like 200 bucks for this music program a few months back. And I was like, great, I've been wanting this thing for fucking ever. I'm not going to just get a pirated copy again. I'm actually going to buy it. I'm going to be legit. I'm going to do everything I ever wanted with it. And I've used it maybe an hour or two since I bought it. And finally, because my brother... Gave me this opportunity for inspiration. I've been sitting down and working with it and watching a couple of YouTube, YouTube tutorials and stuff. And so I wrote to him and I said, man, you know, I had to ask myself at one point, if I'm putting my time not on this music program, and I think this a musician is the person I want to be, an artist is the person I want to be, is that who I really want to be if I'm putting my time elsewhere? Do I actually want to be the dude on his fucking phone all the time? Here, I guess maybe not. I just needed someone to shake me awake. And I wanted, right. I guess it's the participation thing. Like I said, just me alone with all the toys in the world, I'm not inspired. I need other people. I need a witness. I need my brother to, I want to impress him. That's what sparks me and brings me to life. And that's why some people, some people got to have an audience. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's, I think I'm exactly the same way. Right. Um, so. Sorry, I didn't mean that. Sorry to interrupt Sorry. you there. No, no, you didn't. I was, I was trying to find a transition that we had last time. We had a real smooth transition, but I don't have one right now. So we're going to talk about the episode, well, hey. episode we're about to play. Well, can I talk about the uh, back from summer vacation? Yeah, I'm thing? curious. I'm curious. Yes. Uh, so listening to that episode, like just kind of hearing my friends chit chat, uh, you said something that really stuck out to me. Where you know, since we've started this podcast, we haven't really it's been kind of the Seinfeld of podcasts. Like we don't really know what the fuck we're doing. We don't know, really know what it's about. And in that episode, you called out like, Hey, I think that this podcast is really about mental health. Mm. Maybe not about mental health in general, but at least about our mental health. Cause we started it just cause we needed something. Right. Right. Like we needed something, we needed people to talk to. We needed something to create. We needed we needed to get out of our own heads and a lot seems like every episode we end up talking about mental health like what's just in this introduction though sorry I, I know you said it, you wanted it to be five minutes but in this introduction we've talked about you know kind of where we've been at mentally and uh how we've improved or not improved and all that good stuff so i i, I really think that's where kind of where the after you said that i was like oh shit Fabian's got it. 
like I think that's what this is about is mental health for us personally and that'll probably like your like your comedian example that'll probably resonate with somebody so that actually makes a really good transition because the guest on this episode was uh, my friend Dram. I met him years ago when I first moved to Fayetteville and got introduced to these, it's kind of a cosplaying group called the Wastelanders and they all dress up like Mad Max people. And, um, and I did that for a little bit, not too long, but he and I, uh, ended up in a band together with a few of the other Wastelanders and we did that for a little while and not too long, but he was always super cool and super punk rock and just a legit nice guy that walked the walk that he talked. And, uh, it was. I really hadn't seen him since for years, and a couple of years, at least two years, and but we're all, we've always been commenting on each other's shit on Facebook, so we had rapport, and this was a reason, just a chance. Like I would never just invite him over, like, hey, let's just be in a room together, bro. Like it's just not doesn't come right. off doesn't come out of my mouth right. Just, just the roll the words don't roll out. Um, but to say, hey, let's come over and work on something, totally facilitated me and him connecting for a couple hours and really credit to him he, at the end he kind of put it into words that he felt so much better after having had this conversation and getting stuff on his chest and being, like I'll listen to him I, I was fully had my attention to where he was going through his thoughts and that feels great to be heard that way and he listened to me like it was a two-way street it's wonderful and he put it into words about the mental health aspect of this. Uh, and he talked about the importance of it towards the end of the episode. It kind of just started to shine, stick out as um, a bigger idea. So uh, yeah. I think that kind of, that all wraps it back around to um, this episode and why we do this at large. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's pretty much got it. Well, on that note, um, Corwin, we'll, we'll uh, follow up for our next episode um, that we have pre-recorded and are waiting to release, and we'll do another intro for it. Uh, I've got like probably three or four that are in the can, and we'll probably record a few more between then. So um, what are you actually doing tomorrow? Yeah. Tomorrow's Saturday. Oh. I'm not doing anything tomorrow. Sweet. I'm, I'm totally free. I'm kid-free this weekend, so um, we'll plan on meeting back up. Same WAP time, same WAP channel. <laughs> Goodbye, guys. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a monkey wrench in my brain. I have a monkey with a wrench. He's trying to wrench it. He's just trying to keep it all together, man. Do you want to turn that clock off? Oh, yeah. Is it loud enough that it picks up? It might be. Is there a reason you have two? Are they set to different times? Time zones? Mama gave me so many clocks. She gave me that clock and the clock next to it and that clock. And then there's a clock in my son's room. I just needed like five clocks when I moved in here. That reminds me of my high school, no, my middle school science teacher. He had like six clocks in his classroom. They were all novelty, novelty clocks. He had one that's similar to that that's kind of the dolly, like melted yeah. clock. And that's Although the one that was, doesn't work. His was actually uh, on a thing that like it wrapped around and it was hung on a bar which i thought was really cool it had like oh, an l bracket and a yeah. bar and it was like hung over it but he had, but my favorite clock that he had was a it was a, a barbershop clock so it's backwards so you can oh, see it in a mirror wow yeah it was really cool and he had a little mirror at the front of the room that was lined up so that wherever you're and it was big enough so wherever you're sitting when you look at it you can see the clock it's pretty cool do you remember your barber as a kid? 
No, because it's always different. We just moved around so much. Oh, yeah, yeah. My grandpa one time took me to his barber, and it was one of those old school barbers that he literally just knows how to do, like, greaser hairstyles or army hairstyles. Yeah. <laughs> and I got a high and tight. <laughs> but, yeah. Sorry. And now, like, my wife does my hair, so we just, yeah. like, don't have to worry about it. It's funny, I haven't paid for a haircut in, like, seven or eight years. It's nice. I probably I need to do the math on how much money I saved. I get charged for a man haircut. Nice. Here's my charcuterie today. Oh, I forgot about I that. I like your loose definition of charcuterie. I like that. <laughs> well, I'm getting better at it. Were we hanging out when I had my car accident, or was that after we kind of? I can't remember. I remember. I was in a wheelchair for six months. Oh shit! Okay, I forgot about that. Do you remember? Oh okay. yeah, yeah, that. Okay, so I. Knew I couldn't remember then. like where that fell in. Yeah. Yeah. I knew you then, but I missed that completely. So I experienced it via your Facebook. Yeah. So it was rough. What happened in the wreck? Was it your fault? Yes, it was. Oh my fault. shit! But luckily, at that time, I had insurance. So, yeah, and extremely luckily, I was on the clock. So I got workers' comp to pay for all of my medical wow. bills. Wow. Which I would not have been able to pay. And not even close. The fucking helicopter ride was seven thousand dollars. You got a helicopter Jesus. ride. And they still tried to like stick me with shit. Like they were calling me, and I just kept having to tell people like. Like, I eventually just got the direct number from my caseworker from the uh, workers' comp place, who was an angel. She was, like, this older lady. I think her name was uh, uh, Gail, but she was just, like, an angel. And It's a total angel name. I was just... Yeah, was and, and, and like, she, like, she was, like, eventually, because I, I kept on the car, like, hey, I'm, I'm, on, the I'm on, the, on the other line with this... Uh, fucking asshole i didn't say that but like and they're trying to charge me money like can you like what this guy's being a silly I, I'm, goose and i'm can i connect you to them and she's like yeah just and, and then eventually she's just like here let me give you uh uh my office number because it wouldn't it wouldn't actually go directly to her uh, it was somebody else for for things like that so she was like here give them this number and then you don't have to say anything else. You just tell them, I'm on workers comp call blah 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 and so and that's what i and, and still had to do that like 500 times after that because they're they're like i think what they do is they try to like get money from you and the workers comp place because they're like they don't expect you to like be smart enough to like oh yeah yeah you know and which i'm sure they trick people out of their money all the time doing that shit but yeah i still sometimes get calls from people like hey you owe money in medical bills i'm like yeah but not to you <laughs> <laughs> this is from i know I, I owe a lot of shit from other stuff but yeah. So, where were you? Were you in Bentonville? It was in Springdale. It was. Do you know um, where the ASN office is? No, I don't. Okay. So my client, I had just picked him up, and I normally never went to the office. It's on um, Sunset. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Sunset. That where the liquor store is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but yeah. it's on the well, other side of the highway. Way. Yeah. And um, it's it's called Isaac Orchard. Isaac's Orchard. It's just a business park, basically. It opens out onto Sunset, but there's no light. It's a stop sign. And as you know, Sunset right there is like, it's a 50, I think it's either 55 mm -hmm. or 50 mile per hour. Uh, and they, uh, 
don't have a light. And so I'm trying to like turn left because in order to like turn right and turn around, I have to go like a quarter mile to turn around. And, and, and now if I have to do that, I will, I'll take the, the quarter mile cause I'm so like, Margie. I guess I think I have PTSD about it, but like, uh, so I, I like, and there, and it's always just constant, like there's no packs on that road. I think cause of the lights, mm-hmm. so there's no packs of cars. They're all spread out and it's so, like, but they're spread out in a way that's like, you can't really get between very easily. So you're just sitting there and I was just frustrated and it's stupid. And I tried to gun it out in front of this truck. And uh, he ended up hitting my side. Uh, I'm glad he hit my side and not the client because my client already had, um, he had had head injuries when he was younger and all kinds of shit. But he uh, hit my side. I, um, unbeknownst to me at the time, broke my pelvis, which is not a good thing to break. Uh, And I had a diaphragmatic hernia, which is where your intestines push up through the diaphragm. Oh my god. And so my lung partially collapsed yeah. on this side. Um, and I was somehow, like, I guess because of adrenaline, uh, a bystander, like, was able to, like, I was, like, I self-extracted, partially self-extracted. He helped me, but, and, because I couldn't get out through this door, so he had to, like, help me pull through the other side. And uh, immediately, as I got on my feet, I just could not hold myself up. And, like, he had to, like, help me get onto the curb. <laughs> then the adrenaline went away, and I was, was just that, like, ah! Was that confusing when you went to take a step? And yeah, you I, just, I didn't know what was going on. Like, I was just like, because I, I thought it was fine until, like, until I, like, I didn't feel anything. Like, like I felt weird, of course, like, but I thought, you know, well, and I was just super, like, <sighs> adrenaline. And, like, uh, I, you know, and it, as soon as I took a step, it was like, oh, shit, something's wrong. And he, and he, luckily he caught me because he was already, he already kind of had my arm because he helped me out of the door. And, uh, I, I can't remember, but I think it was actually the driver of the pickup truck that hit me. Uh, but, um, and I just remember the next, the next thing I remember is like sitting on the curb and then realizing I can't sit. It hurts. Then like trying to like lay down on the curb, that hurts too. Uh, it, the worst thing about breaking your pelvis is there's no way to be comfortable. It's just, it hurts. It hurts. You use it like, all the time. Like, you can, you could, like, I, I'm sure it's, I, I've never broken anything else, like, extremities wise. I'm sure it sucks to, like, fucking break a leg or whatever, but you can hold a leg in place. Like, it'll, you can elevate it and whatever and hold it there. There's not really anything you can do with your pelvis. Like, you, you have to, pretty much any way you're going to be, you have to be on it. And there's pressure on it. So, like, yeah, and. The world's best athletes. <laughs> it went to like, uh, or, or so they got they got the uh, paramedics there, and I, I got into the ho- uh, into the ambulance, and then I don't remember anything until I got to the hospital because they shot me up with uh, oh yeah, uh, not morphine, but um, I think it was like Roxy Co- what's the Roxy. like the high high caliber fucking opiates, Dilaudid. uh, might have been Dilaudid, um, but they yeah, and so Mental cocaine, yeah, they they were. Uh, pretty shitty to me in the Northwest, which is really sick me. They didn't want to give me uh, any pain meds until they booked, uh, until they like got me into a bed. But it took them like an hour and a half to get me into a bed, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there with a broken pelvis and uh, like screaming, like and, and this poor nurse, like you know, screaming at the nurse because I'm in pain, like the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. 
and my wife is freaking out, you know, because she's there at this point, and, and, uh, they just wouldn't give me anything until they got me in the bed, I don't know why, or what, but, like, and so finally, they're still running your insurance to make sure it was good. Probably some bullshit like that, yeah, and, but then, um, they eventually decided that they needed to, because they didn't have, I guess, the right surgeons or whatever there, that they needed to emergency airlift me to, um, uh, Little Rock to, uh, what's, what's the hospital there? Is it UAMS? Probably, yeah. Um, and, uh, so, which was actually, uh, uh, like, riding in a helicopter is super cool anyway, but riding in a helicopter when you're basically on heroin is <laughs> pretty fucking rad. Although, I mean, I, I did pass out, like, I think, like, a little while after we were off the ground, but, like, it was super cool, because, like, um... When you're, when you, those, so those rescue helicopters, the, they basically, they stick the stretcher in, and your, your legs are next to the pilot, and the rest of you is back behind, and so, like, there's a little bubble underneath, and you can just see down, and there's just, like, and, like, normally it would, like, be a little vertigo or whatever, but I was just, like, so fucked up that I was just, like, whoa, and also just being in a helicopter feels way different than being in a plane, because, well, first of all, the vertical liftoff, and then also just like when they when they start going, you're like, it, I don't know, it, it's kind of hard to explain, but it just feels different from being in a plane. And uh, and then I passed out and woke up at the hospital, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was it was pretty rough. So, how long was the recovery process from a broken pelvis? So, they they told me initially. That they would, they thought, you know, it would be maybe four to five and a half months. Um, yeah, but, you know, it just kind of depends on your body. Um, it ended up being about, I want to say almost seven months. Um, but that was more um, just, I didn't really have a situation where like, I could easily um, get around with my wheelchair and so I wasn't able to like get mobility in my upper body very easily because mm-hmm. my I was living in a, this tiny little apartment it was not made for wheelchairs I couldn't even get to the kitchen so if my wife had to go to work like kind of like screwed for if I want to get some shit, shit from the fridge or whatever here's your handy snacks for today <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, and the main thing was just depression man it's just like really it's really hard to go from the lifestyle was like, because at the time I was doing, I was like the most social I've ever been in my life. I was doing the wasteland stuff. I was doing like, I was getting into the punk rock scene in Fayetteville and all this stuff. And suddenly I couldn't do any of that. I couldn't do it. Like, and, and like, um, so I think a lot of it was also just like mental. Like I didn't really want to do anything because I didn't feel like I could do anything, but it's kind of where my thought was going is like the recovery process is in a way like the accident stretched the suffering of the accident stretched out. Yeah, like it's it nothing is nothing to fuck with in and of itself. Even though like yeah. the uncertainty of will I live or die in this moment is is you know that's kind of resolved. Like hey, we it's, got you patched it's up. It's almost worse the the recovery part because you're like, well now like I'm alive, but. Sometimes I don't want to be because, like, I can't do anything. I can't, like, 
like I'm I'm alive, but I'm not able to experience a lot of the shit of being alive is for, like fun for, like, and now eventually I did get to the point where I was able to like get out in my wheelchair and go and like, and my wife was amazing for this with getting me to places like I went to a couple punk shows in my wheelchair, and people were awesome by the way like they were like I was I was like in the pit with my wheelchair just like running people's feet over like they they were like I don't they didn't even care they were just like. They just thought it was awesome to see me in the wheelchair, like, going wild and stuff. And, like, yeah. Um, so that helped a lot, I will say. Like, and and also, like, as many problems I had, as I had with a lot of the people that I was hanging out with at the time, uh, now, uh, it was really good to have that social circle and be able to go to the meetings and stuff and, and all that. Um, I was just listening to another podcast, and they were talking to this lady about this study that was done and so they were studying kleptothermia and it's how organisms will steal body heat from other organisms so like there's a snake they talked about that would wrap around this other like creature didn't try and bite it didn't try and eat it what it was doing was stealing its body heat because in nature it's more efficient for us to acquire body heat than have to to like digest food and then run the digestive processes and metabolic processes to generate the heat internally. Yeah. So that's where we evolved to share body heat. Like Three Dog Night, that band, that phrase is a reference to how cold a night is. Ah, it's so fucking cold. It's a three, dog three dogs. Night. Yeah. yeah, bring him in. Yeah. And so there was a study they did where they had people tossing a ball to each other. And this one person who's the only person actually being studied, he doesn't know the other people are actors. And he has like a temperature, he has all these little sensors taped to them so they can study parts of it. And uh, so they're tossing the ball back and forth in a circle. Well, then the actors suddenly exclude the person and they just start throwing the ball amongst themselves. There's a measurable temperature drop in the skin, the surface, skin surface temperature for the, the subject where they, they got colder as they were excluded. And they also related this to other studies where there was this tendency of people with depression to dress in layers and there's this aspect of it's just all psychological it's not even metabolic at that point where they just can't get comfortable they can't get warm and so they were talking specifically about um, a couple of people that had schizophrenia and they were just in all these layers and once they were able to enter into more social lifestyles with through treatment and different programs that part of their disorder was went away it was resolved so they yeah. found this weird connection that way. And then when they were able to, to measure it with the ball tossing game, they would say, okay, so we're on to something here. There is some kind of connection here that we can use as like a, a meter stick for how this is going for people. Yeah. It is a key indicator of our mental and social health. We, we evolved socially. And when you're not, when you're isolated from that, especially when you're used to it, it can like kind of destroy you. If you're not, you know, especially if you're, if you feel like you can't get back to that, like you feel like you've been, a lot of people feel permanently disconnected from things mm -hmm. or things like that. And so, yeah, I, I can see that. I was listening to another podcast where they had a, um, a friendship expert, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> like she had whatever, you know, behavioral science, science, science degrees. And, but I thought about it might suck to be her friend because if you do something wrong, then she's like, listen, listen, no. I'm a, I'm a friendship expert. I, I know what I'm talking about here. But the, my point is that she was talking about how the pandemic affected people. And there is a, a pattern that we go into when we have been disconnected. 
we feel like just like in nature, if you're disconnected from your tribe, you are actually at higher risk of not surviving. There's yeah. a survival risk to be outside of your social group. You don't have the support systems. You're foraging for resources on your own. It's not as efficient. Mm-hmm. Well, now that we you know have grocery stores, it's still a factor. Once we're set apart from our groups, you go into this fight or flight state. And how easy is it to go make friends when you're in your fight or flight state? Not it's, easy. It's way more difficult. Yeah. Like it's yeah. Um, it's a, it's the it's like a vicious circle. It's like that snake eating its own tail. Yeah. It just feeds itself. Yeah. The pandemic definitely brought back a lot of that that feeling I had when I was in a wheelchair and I didn't feel like I could get out as easily because like like I could get out when I was in the wheelchair, but I had to have my wife to help me. I couldn't like you know I couldn't drive, I couldn't get myself into the car, you know. And but with the pandemic, it's like you can't go anywhere. You know, it's like especially when it was in the height. Like it was like, uh, and I was lucky enough to have like a tight circle of friends that we all and it kind of maybe it may have been a little bit of a mistake because I did get end up getting COVID. But it was from a few people on the fringe of that group that weren't as responsible. Um, but and yeah, it, it was a lot more restrictive. I feel like in a lot of ways, and and. Because, like, when I was in the wheelchair, like, even though I couldn't go out, like, people could come see me and often did, you know. Not as often as they would like or I would have liked, but, you know, people were able to come visit me. There was no danger in that. But with the pandemic, it's like, you know, they're putting themselves at risk if they do that. And I don't want that. They don't want that. So, yeah. Were you paralyzed for this time? Or was um, it, it just was like, since my pelvic pelvis is broken, it's kind of like if the suspension in your car goes out. There's nothing to support what's going on down here mm-hmm. so like i probably could have like my legs were working but th- i couldn't support my own weight oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. like when i finally could like i like we went like finally got clearance from the doctor that i could start to try to walk with a cane we went straight to walgreens and i bought a cane and i hobbled on it a few steps like my legs are super atrophied and i like started crying mm-hmm. and my wife started crying and i was just like I felt like me again. I felt like a like a person again. Oh wow! Which sucks because like I people who I know that a lot of people will never be like never be able to walk again, and it, like that is a part of you that you like makes you feel like a person is being independent, being able to get up and walk to the fridge or or whatever you know. And so it, it gave me a lot of like it was very humbling in a lot of ways of like realizing that a lot of people with disabilities are severely limited in like uh in what they can do with their lives and it kind of sucks and uh i can't wait for robot legs <laughs> yeah i had a hernia surgery last summer and uh and i've never had to have any kind of surgery or anything like that and so it, and it was the recovery process super fast it, but for like the little window of time that had like lay in bed and like setting up was really difficult so it's like turn over to the side and pee in a Gatorade bottle or whatever. And like, because I'm trying not to re-injure anything. God damn, I don't want to have to have this surgery again. I certainly don't want to like push it because clearly I got a hernia by pushing it. Yeah. And so just be cool, man. Just be cool. Relax. And then at one point, the um, the van was, was overheating somewhere. I think like in Benzel or Rogers. I can't remember where it was. And so I, I get up and I drive out there. And next thing I know, I'm like taking off all these supports and pulling the battery out and pulling out the fucking overflow tank and trying to, I just need to see where the crack is. So I know, is this something I can fix? 
or do we have to spend $500 taking it to a shop to get it replaced? And I've watched all these little videos on my phone. I'm out here in this parking lot thinking, I should not be laying under a van right now. I should be laying in a bed. And if I literally could not have done that, like clearly I shouldn't have been doing it, but the internal conflict was so great that I, I, I did it anyway. Yeah. But if I fucking could not, that internal conflict would have been unresolved. I can I, I see that identity piece, that self-validation piece. Yeah. I can imagine like, fuck, this is, this is not how I want to be. And you're right. Some people, they have that accident and they're done. Yeah. That's it. There's a lot, a big thing that, you, that a lot of people take for granted is just being able to do things. Like, being able to, like, take care of things. Knowing that, like, if something happens, like, with some, some type, and I, of course, not everybody knows how to work on cars or whatever. I, I really, I really don't either. But, like, but just knowing, like, shit, I need to, uh, replace the filter on the sink. I can do that. Yeah. Some, some people can't. And, like, yeah, I, I think that's more, something that more people should pay attention to. But it also, it's it's hard when you you can just inherently do things, you know. It's, it's so. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> you said you moved around a lot. Why? Well, uh, gr- growing up, my uh, stepdad at the time was in the military. So we, I mean, uh, us five, we moved to Germany, um, which was really cool. Um, I kind of want to go back because. Uh, I just we, we would we would go to castles and like all kinds of cool shit. Yeah, um, they have old shit in Europe. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Like like American history is really cool, and like I, I would there's a lot of things in in America that I'd love to see. I want to go see like the Pueblo uh, settlement, I guess, or whatever, um, and all that, and 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 the Monument Rocks and all that stuff. But there's just something like. Like there's there's towns in England where they like have the same cobblestones that the the Danes laid down when they took over like in like the year 500 and and like old like people and and it's a, a by the way a pain in the ass for people who live in England but there were people in England like in in London who own like houses from the 1500s that just have thatched roofs and they're uh and uh, they're beautiful uh and it's just like this sense of like time immemorial yeah, as cliche as that sounds but like this like sense of and, and, and I, I only kind of vaguely remember this from when I was a kid and being in Germany but like when you're in a place like a, like an old castle you, you kind of like are transported a little bit to that time it's like you're touching things that have been there have been touched for hundreds of years it's crazy crazy to think about um i feel for those people with those houses though because the the, the um they like to i don't know if you know how like the process of like rethatching a house but it has to be done pretty frequently it's a pain in the ass and uh you're literally not allowed to like uh remodel the house to a modern roof because it's historically protected oh, yeah so these people that own these like ancient houses houses are like it like constantly like burning them down for the insurance money. <laughs> so, like, it's because it's like, I don't want to rethatch this roof again. I hate it. <laughs> Plead temporary insanity. <laughs> this is just a uh, mysterious fire. <laughs> when I think about spaces, I have like this feeling about it. Um, I saw a Carl Sagan video where he was talking about uh, dimensions. <clears throat> and so, if you like, 
If you draw a square on a piece of paper, it's a two-dimensional figure. It has height and width, and it's flat. But if you draw a cube on a piece of paper, you ever do that like as a kid in your notebook? You draw one square, then you draw a slightly offset square. And you oh, yeah, the, the like wireframe yeah. cube thing. Yeah. Right. And it's still, still it's a, it's a two-dimensional representation of a three-dimensional object. Yeah. But now when we talk about four dimensions, your brain doesn't really know what to do with that. But he gave the best fucking example. He held up a three-dimensional cube. Like, it was, it was like lucite. It was clear. And he shone a flashlight through it onto the piece of paper. And he was like, see, I, you're looking at a real three-dimensional object that I'm holding in my hand. I'm turning it different directions. You can see it from all sides. It's a real three-dimensional thing. He shines the flashlight on the piece of paper. It turns into that drawing. Like, you're just seeing the shadow of this lush, full, real object. He says, now it's still going to be impossible for you to conceive of it because we're three-dimensional creatures. But four-dimensional objects, we are seeing the, the three-dimensional shadow of these four-dimensional objects. So the world we live in is the shadow of a more lush, real world. So when I think of spaces like that, that have so much history and events and everything that's tied to it and in it, and it's relevant to us as humans, like there's human history there, I feel like, yeah, you are feeling something that you can't perceive. And I don't mean in a woo-woo, oh, the energy, I feel the energy. Okay, that's cool. But I think we can really quantify the energy that you feel. We don't yeah. have to just talk about it in those, like, I don't know, like those refrigerator magnet terms. Like there's something <laughs> legit fucking happening there yeah. that you're feeling. Yeah. It's time, right? Like the fourth dimension? Yeah. 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 Because yeah. things aren't static they pass through like mm -hmm. time and i'm a <laughs> layman in the purest sense of the term but like yeah that's it's really interesting to me because like it is non-linear but we perceive it as linear and like that's just so wild to me and i uh i don't want to talk too much about it because i'll talk out of my ass and not know what i'm talking about but it is super super fascinating and i listen to people like carl sagan and uh, uh neil degrasse tyson talk about it and i'm just like and to hear them talk about it, they're so good at like explaining it in a way that you can mostly wrap your head around. Yeah. And and like, and even hearing them and then try me trying to explain it, I can't do that. So it's like respect to them. Like it's it, it's it's a it's a wild concept. It's, it's like the scientist Mark Twain people yeah. of our lifetime. Yeah. Just they spin a yarn that's not a yarn <laughs> it's, it's a real fucking picture it's it's creativity in conveying information it's yeah. like it's like uh it's kind of like a landscape painting of something that nobody can see but that person you know what i mean it's like they're they're putting the picture down for you to see in a way that's simple doesn't convey all the information necessary but simple and informative enough for you to kind of get the vibe of it. And I, I think it's a real talent to do that. Did you live anywhere else in the U.S. that wasn't at all near Arkansas? Uh, Georgia. But climate, still like kind of the political guess, climate, yeah. yeah, it's still the same. But then I was also like in elementary school. So, um, Oh, Texas, which is actually very different, even though it's in the South, because um, most of Texas is red. But um, I lived on I lived around Fort Hood, which is actually because it's a military base, extremely diverse, um, and so you get a lot of different viewpoints, a lot of different 
ethnicities and cultures and um you know i mean it's not a, a full spectrum of the cultures of the united states because it's really it's mostly the cultures that tend to lean towards military service yeah but um i i really um am thankful for that because a lot of my family just grew up in literally mountain home no no offense to mountain home but it's mountain home <laughs> you know and they you know a lot of them have never been anywhere else and they have this really closed off viewpoint of the world and i think that living not only in it like moving to germany when i was a kid i'm sure helped but i was a little too young to really learn anything from it um like anything real like about the world but growing up i mean i lived in texas from when i was in fourth grade we moved there when i was in fourth grade and uh i graduated high school there and then i lived there for a few years after that so i mean i was there for over a decade and um living in a, t in a military town especially compared to a small agricultural town or, or, or industry town is it, it gives you a lot more perspective because you're you're around people of color you're around people from different backgrounds and different um uh, economic classes um because there's officers there's enlisted men there's people who have just worked for the military that aren't necessarily military members um and so like yeah i i got a lot of that kind of humbling world experience that you don't get from a small town because you're just around the same jackasses that you grew up with and so um i think more people should experience more of the world honestly is i guess what i'm trying yeah. to say is it's there's so much more to it than just the people you know um, and a lot of the shit that I experienced was pretty dangerous, but I don't know. I think it was a good, good thing in the end. Uh, I definitely have a better view on the world than I think my parents did. I heard, so in, apparently just recently in Wyoming, they just passed this thing where they're setting up a fund where Wyoming can sue other surrounding states for for uh, for investing in uh, green energy and like uh, uh, alternative energy instead of buying Wyoming's coal, <laughs> which like okay, there's a a little bit of an argument in like the West Virginia, not much of an argument, but a little bit of an argument of like okay, these are People would like you know people do these jobs in Wyoming. These these like mines were built in the '60s. They're they're mostly automated. You know, there's like somebody in a control room. Uh, like the the I was reading like the trucks. The trucks are like uh, they're not like automated automated, but they're like uh, RFID or like radio controlled, basically RC dump trucks. Like it's like you're just like. Uh, well, first of all, like, how is that free market? Like, you're suing people because they're not buying your product? Like, <laughs> where, you know, if there's no demand for your supply, that's your fault. You know what I mean? So, so that's what I think is... It's fucking wild. Is... It's strange. Because, so, like, all the, the um, oil jobs that Trump was always talking about, and then, like, I have family that um, that looks 
at it from his perspective and or or from his words so when they shut down that pipeline the what was the the name of the big pipeline keystone yeah yeah keystone pipeline yeah. they shut that down that from what i understand and i didn't you know super double check it but like that's not oil for us we don't get that oil it's not a main supply of oil for us no. but whenever trump was talking about all the jobs that it costs and you know the it's just going to make us more dependent on foreign oil and then Biden gets into office, and then oil prices start to go up. Very quickly, members of my family were talking about, we need to open up that pipeline. Yeah, this is just Biden. Just wait till wait, wait and see what happens as this keeps going on. Then in the comments, somebody else says, yeah, I think it's more that the country was shut down completely last year, and now everybody's starting to travel again. So there's more demand for gas. So that's going to drive up the price of oil so i think it's not so much that biden like hit a button or that trump was fending off the wolves i think it's like just society people just put too much stock in the president like there's some kind of fucking dragon ball z character that's just like fighting off the fucking wolves all the time no they're just they're making mild policy which although i think that's the (laughs) ultimate purpose of the president right is like this figurehead for our psychosis for four years at a time yeah yeah it's like who do we want to feel like we are right now that's why i think everybody just either if the president does an okay job he's the best president ever if he does something that people slightly dislike he's the worst motherfucker that's ever lived and it's just like like you're putting a lot to a lot of stock in somebody who's essentially just a guy who stamps stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I, so what I was surprised to see, like the Daily Show did this supercut of how Fox News was talking about those like um, border detention camps whenever Trump was in office versus now that Biden is in office. So when Trump was in office. Like, you know, Steve Ducey and, you know, and Hannity, they're all talking like, you know, these people, they come from these places where, you know, they're not even wanted by their own government. You know, they're suffering there and they come here. And you know what? When they're in these camps, they've got video games. They've got food. They're warm. They're safe. You know, this they're talking about these are cages. These aren't safe cages. And, and so now flip that, you know, however many, like seven, eight months later, and Biden's in office, they didn't tear all those down and rebuild them again. I don't give a shit about the ins and outs of the particulars. Yeah. All I know is same cages, same people, same government, yeah. different dude. Relabeled. They just relabeled and all of a sudden they're saying, now Biden, here, here, where are the liberals crying about it now? Like Biden's got these people, these are, they, they've just kept them, they haven't freed them, they haven't reconnected them with their families. This is just the same situation and, and Biden, it's on Biden's shoulders now and he's the one responsible and they, you know what they've done? All they've done is they've renamed it to, and they did rename it to something. Yeah. But it was the same shit but, it's not like we're not still pissed off about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're, we're still fucking pissed off about it. You can take anything. Biden can just... kiss my ass too. Like, I don't care. You know? <laughs> and that's the funny part. Is like, <laughs> liberal people will still criticize this president that's in office now. Yeah. Whereas the other situation was there was no criticism. There was only full devotional support. And it was very cult-like. Like, right yeah. now, I haven't seen a flag of anything in months. There's no more fucking flags on anybody's car. I saw one out in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, oh, they're still flying a Trump flag. Because <laughs> <laughs> even the dude on Betty Joe, who like, 
he he had to, his ripped off of his truck like several times to the point like it used to be like a huge fucking and I used to thought this was hilarious it used to be he used to have this huge fucking Trump flag hanging off the back of his big jacked up pickup truck and people kept ripping it off and ripping it off he'd buy a new one they'd rip it off and eventually I guess he couldn't afford to buy the big ones anymore because it was just like a little tiny one <laughs> <laughs> and they ripped that off too and then he like changed it to a sign in his yard people kept kicking it over I'm <laughs> just like, why are you like keep? Why do you keep buying these signs for a president who is not in office anymore? <laughs> he's like, he's not like uh, four years from now it makes sense. But like, what the fuck are you doing? You're just wasting money. It, it's just so funny. I, I just love that that image of the tiny flag when I drove around the block and saw that. I was just like, oh my god, it's so. Funny. <laughs> I mean, it was literally like a foot by half a foot compared to like a, or before. I think it was like a, it was like a the size of his. The tr- bed of his truck. Like, <laughs> I remember, I guess it was the year, no, okay, so it was whenever Trump started to go on these little tours to try and get elected. And he had announced his candidacy and it still looked at it as a joke. He was coming to Little Rock and I happened to be in Little Rock visiting a friend of mine who um, from college who I had a falling out with, but he was always so crazy, such a, like a free radical, like a, handful you never knew what he was going to do when you were with him and when you were with him he was always going to tell you some unbelievable story of some shit he had done like the night before and he invited me to go to this trump rally and i laughed and i was like yeah that's fucking history man we'll never see some shit like that again absolutely and i didn't go i just forgot about it or whatever <laughs> um, but it, i didn't realize he was a trump supporter like, he wanted to go because he was into it. Oh, God. I completely... You wanted to go it. for ironic reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this would be hilarious. And this is... Really, I thought this is so wild just at that level. I was like, I can't miss this. This is history happening. This is so stupid and ridiculous that this has even made it this far. Yeah. I've got to go see it before it's gone. I had no idea. I could have gone and seen that, what, five months ago. They're still doing that shit. December 7th, night. So I want, I want to talk about something that's only tangentially related. And I say tangentially because I want to I want to plug the fact that All Gas No Breaks is back. I don't know a lot of people, if not a lot of people know that. What is that? So, I don't know, I guess uh, I should have probably asked if you knew what that was. There's this guy, it was All Gas No Breaks was the guy, you've probably seen um, YouTube videos of him. He's got like curly hair, he always wears like a tan suit. Really bad fitting tan suit, and he goes and he just gets people to say the craziest shit. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Because he he just he wears the suit, yeah. and people just assume he's like a conservative talking point guy, and they're just like or whatever. He, he just puts the camera or puts the camera and the microphone in people's face, and just like says like the most open ended question, and then they just like, he just lets them talk. And when you just like stand there and let people t- and like it's kind of this weird sixth sense that he mm-hmm. has. Of like knowing who to go up to, yeah. but like certain people, when you just put a microphone in their face, they'll say the craziest, most fucked up shit. Love it. Uh, but apparently, so when he started that all gas no breaks thing, he got with this like really kind of shady uh, media company that um, he they basically he he they bought him a van or RV RV and. Uh, whatever, and you know that was his like way of getting around doing the thing. Well, they eventually like fucked him over, and 
I can't remember the exact details, but ended up uh, they owned the name Gat No Gas All Gas No Brakes. They like kind of like were like they were just gonna like replace him, which I don't know why they thought that would work because he's a enigma. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, <laughs> but they're back. It's called uh, I think it's called Channel Five on YouTube. Um, but he re- I I just want to say this because it's close to my. I guess what I consider my community, which I'm kind of I'm the punk rock people, but uh, and I'm, I'm moving more into garage rock now. But I still love punk rock and I love punk rock people. However, recently I just saw he went to a uh, punk festival in LA, very recently, and it was pure insanity. Uh, and I highly recommend that anybody check that out because. There were just insane, like a lot of them were like what you think of as punks, you know, with the either shaved heads and you know, mohawks and leather jackets, all that. A lot of them were just like crazy people. <laughs> we were just like, there was just one guy. He was his like uh, I think his Hispanic, had long hair, kept saying the n word, uh, and was just like drunk as fuck or like screaming like. We are here! And just like, nobody's wearing masks. People were like, yeah, we're vaccinated, yeah! But then other people were like, fuck the vaccine! You can kiss my fucking ass! Yeah. And they were like, they were like, and it's just like, what has happened? Like, and so I just want to say, that's not punk rock! <laughs> uh, so, but it's just like, and it's another reason that I've kind of like, moving away from it in a musical sense is just because I think it's it's starting to attract people who just... Uh, 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 the same thing in, in the 80s and, and stuff where it's starting to attract people who just want to raise hell. Uh, and um, But I <laughs> recommend watching that just because the hilarity factor. Um, there was like... Uh, there was like one guy who was just like... I, I think it was in the same scene where that guy was just screaming the N-word... And, but like, casually, like, like it was the word dude, <laughs> like, and, and that guy was just chugging Jack Daniels, like, and then just like, uh, it just puts a bad taste in my mouth and a bad look. It's a bad look. Don't be that guy. I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, I always wanted to be into more punk rock than I was. And the way I first discovered it at all was... When I was a kid, there was a show called Headbangers Ball back in the day on MTV. I remember that. And my brother watched it all the time. And uh, every once in a while, he would show me something on there that he would he thought I would like. And so, like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> and he, like, he showed me Raging Against Machines Freedom video for the first time on there and ended up becoming a huge Rage fan. But he also Love called Rage. Yeah, oh yeah. But he also called me back there to show me this other video. And it was 21st Century Boy. Uh, or 21st Century Schizoid Boy? No. 21st Century Boy. Yeah. Anyway. Bad Religion. Oh, Bad Religion? Uh, yeah. Digital Boy. That's digital it. Boy, yeah. 21st Century yeah. Digital Boy. Yeah. And um, and I loved it. And yeah. like for Christmas that year, I asked for um, Stranger Than Fiction, that album. And just listened to it constantly. And of course, like so, like Greg Graffin has like a like a evolutionary biology. Yeah, he's degree. like a PhD. Yeah, yeah. And he's got these huge vocabulary words that he uses in there, 
It's really it, the, the lyrics carry that band it's so oh, good. Completely, yeah. yeah, and well, and the music is good too. But the music's like, great, but yeah. But I really felt something about being a person that listened to those, those lyrics and, and learning them and and uh, and feeling like I was like like oh I'm smart enough to get some of this. Although I probably really wasn't, but I was but I was also learning new shit, and new ideas, and things like that. Um, but I so then I started buying all their albums that I could get a hold of. And this is back in the days of CDs, so like, whatever, Tower Records or Sam Goody or, or On Cue, they didn't have the whole, like, discography, so yeah. every once in a while I'd find one that I hadn't seen before, I was so excited, and I'd go buy my fucking CD, and I'd love it. Um, but then, like, I also tried to get into other stuff, like, I remember seeing this, like, punk compilation thing, I think it was, like, Fat Records, just a, oh, CD, a sampler. I know what you're talking about. I just didn't dig it, like, some yeah. of it just was, I was like, that's not my thing. But there's other kinds that I do. Like, I don't know, I just like, I guess it's like the, and I like some pop punk. I like some goofy, silly, happy shit too. Yeah. But I'm, I, I'm not necessarily like, I would say picky, but there's some of it that's like, I don't know what gives you an identity. Like, yeah. your music and your band and what you're saying, your sound. It, I just feel like it's. A just, lot of it is, yeah, a lot of it is just like punk for the sake of being punk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you edit these? Can I take a bathroom break? Oh, yeah. <laughs> The Orbi has nothing to fear. Um, derivative punk rock. Because I think a lot of it, like, people just latch on to the aggressiveness and the um, uh, aesthetic, which I love the aesthetic. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're just doing that, yeah. it's not really the same. But uh, it seem, uh, seems to be this tendency to just be as aggressive and in your face as you can, which is fine. I love that. But there needs to be substance. And a lot of my favorite punk bands are not the typical, like, you know, three-chord in-your-face punk bands. I love, like, The Cramps, The Dead Kennedys, um, you know, Bad Brains. They're intense, but they're bringing something else to the table. And... Um, a lot of bands do that with, with their message, with their politics, like uh, Bad Religion. A lot of bands do that with their sound. And I'm kind of getting more into the sound thing, mainly because I think I'm, I'm starting to learn how to play bass, and I, I'm really interested in that now. But um, I do think that there's a problem with people latching onto punk without really understanding the mythos, or not mythos, um, the... Um, I guess the point of it, the whole point of it is to change things, to make, like, push people out of their comfort zone in a good way. And it seems to, like, be a scary kind of right-wing uh, agenda popping up with a lot of bands where they're just trying to be edgy and kind of the wrong ways and... uh I don't, I don't know, I just don't get it. Like, why Like why not just be a fucking right-wing metal guy? There's plenty of those, you know? Like, I, don't, I just don't get, like, why you would latch on to punk rock if you, that, that's where you're going. Like, because, I don't know, it just seems like the wrong kind of... What are you getting at? You know what I mean? I don't know. I remember being fascinated when I discovered, um, like, the gatekeepers... 
of a culture. Yeah. So like, if you don't have the right jacket or the right boots or the certain thing or this look or there's people, this, this kind of person that will pick those people apart and, yeah. and validate them or invalidate them as if they have that authority and then realizing, oh, you can conform in your nonconformity. Yeah. Which is in and of itself almost like a trite statement. Ha 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 ha. But it's such a fun, it's trite because it's so fundamental. Like it seems like a, uh, it's an old thought. But yes, there are people that take, oh, here's a unique, new, avant-garde or edgy thing. Let me wear it like a coat. Yeah, let me not understand it at all yeah. or even attempt to and just like put it on like a fucking Fortnite skin. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and then, I, and then I'm just going to get in the pit and hurt as many people as I can. Yeah. You know, like, like. There, like, there's plenty of fucking musical genres to get into if that's what you're into. Like, honestly, it, it just doesn't have a place in punk. And, and, and I, I'm, I want people to broaden their idea of what punk is. Because if you look at it as a sound or an aesthetic, I feel like that's a kind of closed-minded way of looking at it. Uh, I certainly think that punk should be raw and uh, if not like like I, I there there can be clean punk cleanly produced punk that's I don't see anything wrong with that I prefer a more raw sound but the main thing is content like you have to have some sort of substance like if you're not saying anything what's the point even if that even if what you're saying is just like, like the cramps, like I like chicks and machine guns and hot rods. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I really like them. Yeah. But it's, but like the cramps had like this, pure, like it was pure for them. They did legitimately loved rockabilly and, you know, leopard print and leather and fucking, you know, switchblades and that whole kind of attitude. Like there was something pure to that. It, it was, yeah, a lot of it was aesthetic, but a lot of it was also just attitude and how they felt and, and all that. Whereas you get a lot of bands now who just, you just want to punch you in the face or whatever, you know? And, um, so I think it helps to also look at how the idea of punk rock fits overlays onto other things that aren't music. Yeah. So like John Waters is punk mm -hmm. rock as fuck. Yeah. And if you ask him, he, he wanted to be a beatnik. Mm -hmm. like, that's where his generational idea came from but some of the things that they did were so to push people out of their comfort zone and he talks about how the most subversive movie he feels he ever made was Hairspray because it's a quote unquote fat girl in the lead who's the star of the movie yeah. and back then they don't want that they wanted Olivia Newton-John that's who you put in, in front of a movie. And there's also interracial relationships in that movie. It's subversiveness with a point. Yeah. There's yeah. a point to it. It's, it's not just subversive for the sake of being subversive. And for him, like, nobody eats a turd in that movie. It's not yeah. one of his edgier yeah. movies. There's yeah. no, like, floppy dicks or anything. Yeah. And that's what he says the most subversive thing about it is because he got these, like, interracial issues and body issues in front of more families and in more homes with this palatable movie. Yeah. So he was able to sneak it under the door doormat. I well, love that. Yeah. That's why, like, as much as I dislike uh, a lot of Green Day's music, they put a lot of those, like, uh, frankly, left-wing ideas into 
the mainstream with their earlier albums being so popular. Like, uh, I mean, and they, you know, they, you could say that they kind of lost the plot later on, but like those early stuff were actually very, very subversive while being mainstream palatable. Yeah, I was, um, I was just a little too young to actually get and be into Nirvana when they were alive. And then, so just when I turned 14, 15, that never stopped me. <laughs> yeah, I turned 14, 15, I got Offspring and Green Day were like the next big thing that MTV decided, well, we're going to lift this up. And uh, I got really, really into the Green Day, that Dookie album then. Yeah, but I did too. Nirvana, they're another one of those bands that I feel so bad that I can't stand to hear people or see things in the media about Kurt Cobain or Nirvana. It's just so like overdone. It's completely, like, like it's lost all meaning. It's like yeah. if I were to repeat the word experience to you for an hour, it's become, it turn into just yeah. vowels and consonants. It just falls apart. It's become almost like a religion where yeah. it's just like the cult of Kurt Cobain where it's like people want to ignore all of his flaws and just pr- put him up on this pedestal as like, yeah, he was a real flaw. Like, but those flaws are what made him human and almost, almost, honestly yeah. what made him beautiful. Like yeah. It's what made his music so good. So or all the things that were fucked up in his life that he didn't like. I was recently watching, re-watching Montage of Heck. It's like the last documentary that was put out. Had a lot of like um, never before seen footage and more access than anything else had ever been given before. And... Uh, him and Courtney were real heroin addicts, and then they had a baby. And yes, Child Protective Services came in and said, we're taking your baby because we know you're heroin addicts and we're worried about the safety of your child. So when I was a teenager and reading everything I could get my hands on, every magazine, because it was pre-internet, I was seeing where he was. him and Courtney felt attacked by Vanity Fair. They felt attacked by the media. He wrote, rape me because of how the media mistreated them. But I'm sorry, you were a Fucking asshole. strung out asshole <laughs> yeah. heroin addict. Yeah. Yes, let's take your baby for a minute until we know you're clean and can care for it. And yeah, so he's incredibly flawed. But on the flip side of that, he, he the liner notes to Incesticide, they're talking about you know homosexuality and anti-homosexuality and uh, race issues and uh, just all of these different things that at the time were really out of the curve really really ahead of the curve for the biggest fucking cash cow in the world yeah and yeah they there's a i can't remember what like what he was saying or what even what like show it was on i think it might have been like an award show but there was one thing where he's just he, there's like he's on the microphone and he's just like screaming something over and over again jokingly and like just being a dick and everybody like holds this up as like such a like punk rock like anti-establishment thing when he was just really being a, a fucked up asshole and I mean fucked up like he was he was on shit you know yeah. <laughs> like you know I mean he was just being a drug addict and disor- disorderly in public you know what I mean I'm sure that's annoying for him it would be annoying for him too well yeah just say that, like stop lionizing me stop yeah. he hated that too me. yeah I'm just that's, fucking that's around actually I think. If I remember correctly, a lot of the reasons he would act out like that was because he just was sick of people idolizing yeah. him. He's like, I'm not a role model. I'm a fucking asshole. You know? well, what he can knew. I do that you're not going to love? How yeah. stupid are you? And everything he would do to do that, people just lapped it up. They're like, oh, you're awesome. He's like, no, I'm trying to be a dick. <laughs> I remember Dave Chappelle was on the cover of TV Guide, back when there was TV Guide. 
and he was the funniest man alive. That was the head, big <laughs> letters, and he went on like Conan O'Brien or Jay Leno or something like that, and they, he held up that issue of TV Guide that was out that week, and he was like, Dave, Dave, how does it feel to be the, the funniest man alive? And he was like, it's pretty terrible. Now, you just expect me to come out here and be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. You're expecting it. Where is the magic? Yeah. And, and, and he was like, genuinely, you could tell, like, oh, this is kind of awkward for everybody involved now. Because yeah. he's right. The magic is fucked. Yeah. But at the very end, he said some goofy shit. Like, to, to poke it. To poke at it. He's, he's like, you know, I guess I'm a smoker joint. Or whatever he said. Some stupid, cheap little thing. Yeah. And the audience erupts. He was, like, trying to be unfunny. Yeah. And he, yeah. he, but he broke his heart because he was like, I'm going to say this stupid thing that I know you're waiting for me to say because it just, the bar is so low. It just becomes like a circus. Yeah. Ha yeah. ah, let me do the trick you, you feel want like to the do. elephant, where, you know, just, they just poke you with a sharp stick yeah. so you go out on stage. Yeah, play Satisfaction one more time. Yeah. Yeah. So Nicolas Cage has a new movie out. Have you heard of it? Uh, no. It's Willy's Wonderland. So have you also heard of Five Nights at Freddy's? Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, Blumhouse, the horror movie production company that I think made, like... Um, like everything? Everything, yeah. <laughs> um, they so, made, like, The Witch, right? Yeah, you, so you, the name, like, they've had enough fucking hits, especially where they, like, have a $5 million budget and they make $60 million off of it. Yeah. And so they were in talks to make a Five Nights at Freddy's movie. And, like, my kid loves the game. And so I was t- I saw that article. I was telling her about it. Like, four years later, she's like, so how's the production coming on that Five Nights at Freddy's movie? And I was like, that just died, I guess. It went away. I've never heard anything else again about it. And uh, she remembered. But all of a sudden, I see this dude that I met at a Comic-Con. He's from Dallas. And I didn't really meet him. He was, like, in the group of people that I met. And then I was adding everybody on Facebook. And, uh, but he made a post. And it's Willie's Wonderland. And it's a Nick Cage movie where he's staying the night in, like, a Chuck E. Cheese type place. And so he's basically been hired to clean the place. And there's all these animatronics in there. And, of course, they come to life. And then he has to survive. And so without giving anything away... It's Six Nights at Eddie's. Yeah, Six Nights at Eddie's. Yeah. <laughs> and it's totally just oh, like a, you know, a knockoff of that. Somebody <laughs> finally made... A movie, if not the movie, a movie, <laughs> off of that that pre- that premise, and it's good. I find I it, it pretty. It's weird and fascinating how scripts get like tossed around Hollywood and just altered with no respect or or thought given to the original person who wrote it or yeah. what they wanted. Yeah, <laughs> and then it just comes like it's wild when you like when something comes out as one movie and you're like, wow, that's a weird movie or even if it's a good movie you're like wow it's a good movie and then you like hear about how the script used to be like this completely different thing and you're like how did that happen it happens all the time it's so weird like and I think it mainly comes down to ego where somebody's like let me put I want to put my spin on it you know what I mean (laughs) Kevin Smith has a classic story about he was hired to write a script for Superman back in the 90s and like it, this, they were trying to make a Superman movie forever. Like at one point, Tim Burton was directing it. At one point, Nicolas Cage was was cast as Superman. <laughs> I would so, love to see that. This thing clearly <laughs> so weird. Past written. Oh, there's a there's a whole movie about 
the attempts to make that Superman movie. So they've got stills, they've got costume tests. Like, there's shots you can see of this weird fucking Superman see-through, like, neon suit that they had Nick Cage dressed up in back then. So it wasn't even, like, a normal Superman suit. It was, like... They went way off the rails. <laughs> but, so here's a way that this happens that gets that far off the rails to Nick Cage being in a see-through neon, like, armor. Is Kevin Smith talked about how he got hired by this producer to do a treatment. He does the treatment. The guy's not happy with it. So the guy tells him, I don't want him to ever be in a Superman costume. It's number one. Uh, he wanted something else. And then he said, I want at the end to, um, he fights a giant spot, robot spider. And he's like, what? Why the robot spider? Why so specific? Well, anyway, Kevin Smith writes that and ends up not getting made because nothing got made. And uh, But then years later, the same producer produced Wild Wild West with Will Smith. Okay, I know I could, I don't know the I didn't know the previous part, but I yeah. know that I know about that story about the producer where he like forced the fucking spider thing into the end of Wild Wild West. This is how this happens. Yeah, it's always like a dickhead producer with a huge <laughs> ego who's like, "Oh, you did, this is a great movie. I love it. I'm so happy to be part of this." But what if at the end they fought like a giant chick with like six tits. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> That's better than the spider. Yeah. It'd be more interesting. <laughs> I kind of want to see that movie. Um, oh, God. Somebody shared, and I've got the screenshot of it. Somebody shared a book off of Amazon that was about a guy and his girlfriend, and they're having sex, and he becomes concerned with these odd, like, moans and screams coming from her vagina. And then at one point. Are you talking about teeth? No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. Not vagina dentata. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but at some point, a zombie or a demon crawls out and, like, you know, much confusion and hilarity ensue. Well, she convinces him to crawl inside. And when he does, he finds it's like a... He becomes John Malkovich? <laughs> he finds a, a pathway to the underworld. Oh, and shit. So, I guess that's where the story really starts. Now I kind of want this book. Like, that alone is, like... Fuck, how could this be bad? <laughs> Just the paragraph I read was already so good. That sounds like a PCP trip. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember years ago my brother showing me um, videos of he found videos of people on PCP and there was one guy that was naked they always get naked. And one guy in a bar, like he's backed into a corner and the cops are like, go to blast him with um, pepper spray and he goes, Plasma beams and he throws his hands out at him. And you know that he really felt like he was shooting plasma beams at yeah. the <laughs> had to feel so good. The power, the sheer power he was experiencing. Because the thing is about an experience is that it's indistinguishable from the, the truth and yeah. unreality. It doesn't that's, matter. That's your reality yeah. when you're on PCP. Because yeah. like, like even in real life, if someone says, I love you, and you're like, I love you too. And like all of these things happen, and next thing you know, you're like, "Where did my money go? Where's my car? Oh, what? I'm kicked out of the house? What? I thought you loved me. Your experience was that you were loved. That was yeah. you was real as anything to you. So when you're on PCP shooting plasma beams at the cops, you are. You're you shooting plasma are. beams. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Another good guy was just sho- shoving ice cubes up his butt. <laughs> He, he probably like, did that normally though. That probably wasn't the PCP. <laughs> <laughs> it just felt good. Now I'm just letting you videotape it. <laughs> oh man, that kind of reminds me. Uh, I've only ever had 
like one experience in public on hallucinogens. Uh, it's 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 pretty scary, but uh, mild as as fuck in comparison. Um, I was with a friend, and we, um, he 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 wasn't uh, he wasn't doing acid. He 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 decided he wanted to do Molly that night, um, which I'm not really into. I didn't really, I've never really, I, I tried it once and didn't really agree with me, but um, he he gave me some acid, and. Uh, and I, you know, I took it at his house, and we decided to go to a drag show, um, in town, um, and, uh, it was at a certain bar on the south side of Fayetteville, um, that does live music, and, uh, uh, they, um, were doing a drag show, and they had this MC who was really charismatic, probably a super funny guy if you're not fucking tripping your ass off <laughs> on acid, but I, I, we got there, and as we got there is is when I started to come up. So, I, um, hadn't had time to, like, acclimate to the environment before I started tripping balls. So, I was just, like, people were there, and I'm tripping all of a sudden. And so, like, and and the MC, you know, he's he's doing jokes about drugs. And for some, like, and he's, like, talking about being fucking, tripping in public, and, like, he keeps looking, and I, of course, mm-hmm. probably wasn't looking yeah. at me at all. He was probably just scanning the audience as you do. But to me, he was staring at me and talking about being fucked up in public. And I'm just like, um, uh. <laughs> I kept having to go outside, man, and like recompose myself. And I was like, just like convinced that everybody there knew that I was tripping balls. Which, ironically, by going out so many times to go to the fucking patio, probably made it more obvious. But, like, you know, I, and I, my friend was super cool about it, to his credit. He was, like, eventually, like, he was like, all right, we, we just go. It, 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 you know, I'm not really having that good of a time anyway. We, you know, we walked around or whatever. So we, you know, we left. And, and think, like, that was the worst part of the night, thankfully. After we left, like, my vibe completely turned around. We started walking up down, and we went up to, um, we went up to, like, main town Fayetteville. We ended up at, uh, by Dixon on this, like, it, we stopped in at this hookah bar. Best fucking experience I've ever had at a hookah bar. <laughs> because, like, it was, like, midnight, probably, and so the, the hookah bar was starting to wind down. There wasn't very many people there. We got our own booth, and, um... We're puffing on some hookah. They had some really good, like, chill, kind of, like, vaporwave music going. And, uh, it was just, like, a complete 180. I was just, like, finally, like, in a place where I was like, oh, yeah. And I re- highly recommend that hookah bar. I don't remember what it's called, so I can't really highly Is recommend it, it I guess. But it's kind of, like, on that road that goes up towards Dixon. That uh, You know the mural on Dixon on the corner? That, that they covered up for some yeah. fucking stupid reason. Oh, they broke reason. it down. They, it's that yeah. road. Yeah, they tore it down. Yeah, I know what you're it's that about. road, but it's the other side of it. Yeah, yeah. I know which um, one you're talking about. But, um, and, and then we went back to his house and, um, just chilled. He went up to his room to vibe or whatever, and <laughs> I just sat there watching, like, a bunch of, I watched, for some reason I was just in the mood to watch a bunch of, like, super intense, serious movies that I'd been meaning to watch. Like, I watched, I watched I The Jungle, yeah, <laughs> with Data Radcliffe, which is 
super intense normally, <laughs> but like on acid, there's a whole. I watched Papillon. Have you seen that? The seventies movie? No, Papillon. Oh, uh, the, the new one. The it's about the. Prison I don't know movie? if it's about the, yeah the Prison yeah. Escape. The it's got um Charlie Hunnam, and oh shit, who's? Fuck, it's the guy. Um, I don't want to try to guess his um, ethnicity, but he seems to be like they um, accountant. Maybe he's the guy from I know him mainly from Rogue One as the pilot. Oh, Oscar! The guy, Oscar Isaac. Oscar, no, not Oscar. not that pilot. The cargo pilot. The like he got like the cap. Uh, he was also the bad guy in Venom. I didn't see that yet. Ah, uh, fuck! I'm trying to remember what else he's in. He's the Sound of Metal. Oh, I was. Oh, I know who you're talking about. He was also. I haven't in seen that, that but I know he's in it. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. Um, but I just al- almost watched it the other night. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know what like ethnicity or culture, but yeah, it, uh, he's a really good actor. Yeah, and um, he was, he was in, in the it. OA. Is the thing that I know him from, and he was yeah. super good in that brief small role, but super good at it. He's a really amazing character actor. I love him. Uh, um, but yeah, he's in it. I believe no shit. It was Raymond Malik. He's, a, he's in another movie that I watched that was... I watched it that same night, but it, I don't remember what it was. But Remy Malik, Remy Malik's in that movie. Uh, it's fucking brutal, though. That's a super brutal movie, Papillon. Uh, like, uh, fr- like, De Gaulle was a goddamn piece of shit. <laughs> like, he was like... I, mean, I, I, I knew that he was kind of, like, not cool, but, like, I had no idea. Like, uh, Charles De Gaulle was, like... It, it was all it was all under the guise of like reforming France, you know. Yeah. yeah. But it was like anybody undesirable was just shipped off to some fucking shithole in the middle of nowhere in a different country, a different continent, and just thrown in prison, work prison. And they they loved work prisons too because they could make money off of it. Uh, but highly recommend that movie. It's um, it's kind of depressing. But it has a good ending. Uh, yeah, I saw my, my um, ex-mother-in-law. Um, she was awesome. She was super fucking cool. And uh, one day, she wanted me to watch that movie with her. The, the 70s version. Yeah, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. It, um, who's the main guy in... Fuck. Classic car chase movie. Gone in 60 Seconds? No, it was like oh. a 60s car chase movie. Anyway, with the bandit? But like, um, maybe. I'll just name 60s, yeah. I'll just name, I'll just name car chases. Car like, I can't believe I can't remember the dude's name. But anyway, Dustin Hoffman's in it too. He plays like the, the smaller guy. And then, then there was other course, like the crazy leading man. And, um, but, but it was awesome. Like, that's my point of reference yeah. on that movie. But, speaking of being compelled to watch intense movies that you may need to get around to while on hallucinogens, last <laughs> time that I watched Mushrooms, I have, you know, all these streaming services and just thousands and thousands of movies that I could watch, like anything. And somehow I landed on El Camino, the epilogue uh, the, to yeah, Breaking the, Bad. Yeah, huh. Also very brutal. I still haven't finished Breaking Bad either, even though I know how it ends. Like I'm just now rewatching it. I just like, I kind of like, I have this thing with series where like I watch them and I'm like, man, this is really good. And I just kind of fall off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I need to watch the second the second season of The Boys. Uh-huh. It's fucking amazing. I love that show. Yeah, I was 
one of the ones that was like every Friday when it would come out. I was like there that evening, like, to, like to just devoured his fucking episodes. So it's, it's 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 a great show. It's hilarious. It's brutal. It's brutally honest. Yeah, and it's a extremely scathing critique of American foreign policy. Yeah. It's yeah. so good. Oh, creating your own terrorists. Uh huh. <laughs> there, there are other things I, don't, I hate spoilers. There's other things in there that were so timely. It was really yeah. impressive. Just how time I was like, how did you make this and put all this shit together and then get it ready to release? And it's coming out now. Yeah. And it's so like on the pulse. Yeah. Like without saying too much, it is. It's just like. It's it's, the zeitgeist is right there. It's. That's it. And that's hard to do. It's really hard to do. Like people take it for granted. Like, if you can do that, you're doing pretty well. Because it, it happens so quickly, like to to keep up with it and make a show that not only touches on it, but then also is somehow timeless. That's really fucking hard. And I think the boys will be that. Like, I mean, I don't. I'm not saying people will be watching it in 20 years, but I'm saying if people watch it in 20 years, I think it will still be just as relevant. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I was talking to somebody the other day about Raising Against the Machine lyrics and how this well, that album's like 25 years old, 30 years old. Yeah, 30 years old. And some of those lyrics are just as on the money today as they were back then. Kind of. It's just because we haven't done anything about it. No, exactly. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Nothing changed. Nothing happened. We've wasted the past 30, 30 years of uh, so-called progress. Yeah. That is one of those funny things to me, though. Is that I see why when I was a kid and I barked about idealistic ideas, why adults were so dismissive about the energy. They're like, they just weren't buying it. And as Because they gave up. Yeah, they saw nothing change. Yeah. They saw the power structure stay the same. Yeah. It, like, it's really hard to sustain that energy. But you have to. Like, we need to, like, learn how to do it. And I'm not... I certainly don't know how. Uh, I... Feel like I've lost a lot of momentum. It just gets depressing, like when you feel so strongly and, and fight so hard for something, and then you see like just the slightest amount of progress, and even that progress is is so opposed that you feel like like there's only a certain amount of of like of care that you can give with no results before you just feel jaded you know yeah. what I mean? and it is so so painfully slow but it's interesting to see what has stuck so like when i was a kid like people would say call things gay yeah and it, yeah and then there was the whole defense of like eminem got attacked for that you know yeah and, and he's like he, hey, hey but uh, which by the way he hasn't stopped <laughs> <laughs> he's still doing it but in why he was like i don't mean it's literally homosexual i mean it's you know, it's it's nerdy or it's not cool. You know, yeah. it's gay. And he doesn't see the problem with that. Right. He still says, he still thinks that way. But the world stopped doing that for the yeah. most part. Far I, mean, I haven't heard anybody use that terminology in that way in so long. And if somebody did, I don't have a single friend that would be not be like, "The fuck did you just say?" Yeah. I, working at the piano bar one time, I got called a tranny. <laughs> <laughs> like, a, seems I, like a compliment. I like I. 
these dudes were like they were like fr- typical frat dudes yeah. like probably 19 it was like I don't know I'm like a decade older than you kiss my ass but they were like they were drunk as fuck it was like we were clo- we were closing I was taking the trash out and coming back they were kicking over you know like the uh, on Dixon Street they have the like little cones that are like they're like the ones that you can run over and they flop over they're like stuck in the street they're like yeah. little poles yeah. they were kicking those out of their bases like, oh wow and like destroying them yeah and you know, which destruction of property is cool when it has a point, but like if you're just doing it to be a dick, like, fuck off. Yeah. So I like I was walking by and I was like, oh, you're so fucking cool, you know, whatever. I didn't say fucking. I was like, oh, you're cool. And they're like, what? And I was like, I was like, just destroying property for no reason, super cool or whatever. And they were like, well, you got you super cool hair because I green hair. You know, like, what are you a tranny? And I was like, first of all, I don't follow your logic. What? <laughs> Second of all, what if I am? You want to suck my dick? <laughs> I was like, you want to fuck? <laughs> like, what? Yeah, that's what I said. It's like a compliment. Like and, then they were, and then they suddenly didn't want to have anything to do with me. So when I was a kid, of course, like there, every every kid has that thing of like if you were walking through the woods and you came across like an old rusted out car, like an old you know coupe or something that somehow ended up in the woods, forgotten, and like the seats have completely rotted away, and there's a windshield that is unbroken. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna break the fucking Giant windshield? Fucking break that windshield. Where's the yeah. rock? Okay, natural. Human I wouldn't do that now because I know that the glass right. is gonna go on the ground. But as a kid, but yeah, it's like innate. I was breaking fucking. Yeah. If I found a beer bottle in the woods, I was throwing it against a rock. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> I think it is something about like play and the development of the brain. Yeah, and asserts like assertion and identity. I think it's all ties together. Yeah, so it's valid. But you gotta so grow out of it. And you, at you some have point. to grow out of it. If yeah. you're 19, you're still doing that shit. Yeah. And, and you know, like. So there was this one other kid. Um, I won't say his name for whatever reason. But anyway, this one kid, and he happened to have red hair. So he looked like that mo- kid from the movie Problem Child. It's a John Ritter movie from the 80s. It was two as a sequel. But um, he was a terror. And he would do things like that, but in a fucked up way. So there's one old man who lived right in town up the street from me. And one day he, like, took all the tomatoes off his tomato plants and just threw them at the back of his house. And then he took a broom handle and he put it through the handle of his screen door in such a way that the guy couldn't get out of his house. So this old man, like, rickety old man, not hurting anybody, is trapped in his house. And it's one of those things, like, how did you even fucking think to do that? Please tell me somebody kicked that guy's ass. He is incarcerated now. I think he <laughs> oh, so might some, somebody definitely at some point kicked his ass. Yeah, he might be serving <laughs> a life term. But me and my brother Fuck. always saw this kid, always were aware of him. He was a small town. He was a, he was a couple years younger than me. And uh, he kind of like seemed to like me or think I was cool. Because when I was a kid, I could draw, so they always got me like a free pass through any through everything. Yeah, I used to draw dev- Dragon Ball Z stuff for people, and they're like, yeah. like draw, "Draw me as a Dragon Ball Z character." I'm like, right. I mean, I've always compared that ten to bucks, being, motherfucker. <laughs> I've always compared <laughs> being like if you're like in prison, the guy that can do tattoos. It's like, oh, you have a marketable skill, so we won't fuck with you. Like, yeah. But it's also a compared to like being a wizard in the olden days. Like you do this thing that they don't know how you do that. They're like, whoa, they're, so, they're amazed and mystified and impressed. So they're like, okay, won't well, fuck with the shaman here. Yeah. He's got, they don't respect you, they just want your services. Right. <laughs> something they just don't, they don't know what to do with. But like, so I, I, I was aware of this kid, but we watched him over the years through the newspaper uh, after you know, graduating high school. And watch, or he, I guess in his case, he dropped out of high school, which is fine. But 
watching him go through like police reports, police reports, front page, burglary, theft, assault. Yeah, so over the years, these aren't pranks anymore, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, no. But he was always that. Yeah. He was always on that path. And so when I think about those people that are just like kicking these little fucking road dividers up out of their bases, like like you said, meaningless, pointless, just fuck shit upness. Yeah, it's different. It's different, and but you could also say the same thing about like there was always that kid in school who was like outwardly aggressive like for no reason but also like super like and i don't know maybe this is more my experience but uh so okay so there's this kid in my school he would always make it an like a point to like make a fight out of the littlest thing and like put like try to be that you know push your chest out you know, kind of like making a fight out of the littlest thing. But also, he would like rat people out for little things like to the teachers and stuff to like try to get like uh, a good rapport or whatever so that he wouldn't get in trouble for what he wanted to pull off. That guy's a cop now. Oh, wow. <laughs> I always like, like, reason, like, and it's always retrospect. Like, I'll see people from my high school and it's not always cops, like, but, like, I'm like, oh, I can see where you were, like, you had this personality type, and now you're this, like, yeah. and a lot of times it's a good thing, like, people who are helpful, like, a lot of times, like, I've, I've seen a lot of them become, like, nurses, or doctors, or, like, um, um, public attorneys, and stuff like that, but, like, there's the opposite of that, which is a lot more scary, where people are, like, just, like, they have this whole sense of, like, I'm the hero of my story, and, and anybody doesn't fucking line up with that, then, then fuck them. And it's just like... People people think that, like, it's just like a job. Which it is. It should be treated like a job. Being a cop should be... It's it actually less dangerous. Th- like, uh, the two most dangerous jobs in the country are being a logger or be... Uh, I can't remember the other one. But there's logging... And there's another one, and they're both, they both seem pretty mundane. And then you've got cops, and, and it's like, why are, do they kill so many people when less cops die than these other professions? And they, those professions have an extremely high level of training, especially logging. Logging is extremely dangerous. And a lot more complicated than most people think. You're not just cutting down trees. You have to know the density of that tree, how it's going to fall, what, like, equipment you need to use. There's a lot of safety safety regulations. Everything is by the book. You cannot deviate. You have to do everything the way it's supposed to to go. And yet cops have this, like, attitude of, like, and I I hate to harp, harp on about cops, but it's a very relevant thing to me today. But... Like, they have this, like, mentality of, like, and it, it goes back to, I guess, the qualified immunity thing, where, like, for some reason, we trust these people with the safety of our communities when they, nine times, like, when, I guess not nine times out of ten, I shouldn't generalize, but a lot of the times, they don't reflect that in their behavior. And their training, a lot of places, is 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 less than, like, a, a, a logger or a long haul trucker. That's all. That is a true issue. And and, and yeah, they're driving. I had an argument with some guy when I was working in the liquor store, 
because I saw a uh, 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 police truck, the, the Tahoe or whatever, fly by down uh, down uh, Walnut. It was in Rogers, doing a hundred miles an hour without his lights on. And I just commented like, he's not supposed to be doing that without his lights on. And and then uh, the guy was like, well, they're trained to drive at high speed. And I was like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're not. I mean, they're trained a little bit, but they're not. Like, racing drivers get, like, to be a racing driver, and that's a controlled environment. You're on a track, a closed track with other trained racing drivers. It takes you years, years to be able to, to be considered uh, skilled enough to be allowed to drive like that. On a, on a track, on a racetrack. And yet cops, it takes us like a six month, if that, uh, program. And they're allowed to drive at speeds exceeding 100 miles an hour. And half the time, they don't even use the sirens or lights. It's just like, we give these people qualified immunity that they haven't earned a lot of the time. And it's like, and then we wonder why shit happens. A friend of mine loves the podcast Behind the Bastards. And I've been meaning to watch that or listen uh, to it. I actually have subscribed to it and not listened to it in a single episode. It is rough. Like that's I, why I haven't listened to it because yeah. I don't want to be depressed. I, okay, you're 100 percent right. <laughs> I've listened to a few episodes, like several episodes, I guess I could say, and I always stop listening to it after I listen to it. You just episode. get pissed off. It, yeah, it's t- it's the ugliest of history. So, what made me think of this just now? Is I know that there's an episode. My friend Daryl, he he's been on the podcast before. He was telling me about how the cops got formed, and I have not listened to it because I also listened to how ICE got formed, and it is such a fucked up, painful yeah. story. It is all brutality and trauma, and again, like I listened to that episode, and I just had to like, all right, I'm gonna listen to some happy interviews with celebrities for a month or two now before I yeah. listen to another one. Of those. I think I, yeah, I need some, I need some recovery so, time. So bleach, just like ah. <laughs> um, oh, one thing I thought about when you're talking about like the kid that puffs his chest, and he's a cop now. Um, so my son is five, and I thought my parents got divorced when me and my brother were four and four and five, but uh, like a year or two ago. Um, my mom was like, no, y'all are six and seven. I was like, what? Holy shit. I thought that when my parents split up, I was too young to really, like, have, have, like, that much of a connection or understanding or anything. I thought I didn't understand. But now that my son is five, he copies me so much. And he is so smart and observant and articulate. And, like, he, uh, he loves Ghostbusters. And we got. I ordered him this ghost trap with some of his Christmas money off of eBay, not eBay, Amazon. And he like, he broke it because he was playing with it like a way that you're not supposed to. And it's got this cord. It's a very skinny cord. And when we got it, I told him, "Be careful with the cord. Don't yank on it. It's just for opening the thing and closing it. And if you break it, I could probably solder it back. But be careful with it." Well, he, apparently, when his little friend was probably over, should have told you told him you could fix it. <laughs> I should let that part out. But, you know, <laughs> He'd probably be like, "If you break this, I can't fix it." Well, he and I have sat down and repaired his toys before. Yeah. And I like, because I like to open shit up and let him see how it works. But his little friend was over, who's a year younger than him, and apparently he was dragging him around like a train. And so, when I found it broken in that way, I scolded him. And whenever recently he we were somewhere and some lady was talking to him, he was telling her about his ghost trap. And he said how he broke it, and dad had told him this. 
and dad said he can try to fix it. He recited the conversation so specifically and I felt like I actually kind of put on the spot. I was like, yeah. whoa, what else is he going to say? Like, how's he going to spin this? Cause this lady doesn't really know us that well. Like, am I going to look like the bad guy here? Like I felt real exposed in that moment. Cause he's so yeah. spot on. With People it. underestimate kids, but kids are really smart. Completely. Kids, I think a lot of ways are smarter than, than adults. I think you lose a lot of, of yeah. that when you when you get older because you just box in. Well, and that, and I think you're just absorbing so much as an yeah. adult. There's so much you have to pay attention to that you really just can't compartmentalize all of it. It becomes a matter also of blocking out so much to pay attention to the things oh, yeah. that are now your responsibility. And blocking out the things you just can't bear to think about. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, coping mechanisms, poor coping mechanisms that we develop. Yeah. But when I think about him and I think about that kid that you're talking about puffing his chest out I think about all of the not just learned behaviors but inherited traumas taught traumas like this fucked up shit yeah just second hand third hand 54th hand trauma and it's it's not gonna go anywhere until we develop a culture that respects and like uh, puts importance in mental health and taking like people are so concerned with taking care of their bodies and you know all these diets and cleanses and like all this stuff but nobody's concerned about their mind like the the mental health like that's in my opinion more important because you're not gonna if you have bad mental health you're not gonna go out and exercise Unless you're already doing that, because like, that is something that some people do to cope with their bad mental health. Like, but, but like, if you're, if part of your problem is, you know, say working out, and that's just an example. There are many things that go that go along the same logic. But if you're, if like part of your problem is that you're like you feel like you know you're overweight or you're not like strong enough or whatever, and you want to work out, but you you just don't because. There's so much else going on in your life. You got to take care of the other shit first. Like you can't, like people, I think replace mental health a lot of times with fitness. They focus on their body and their physical fitness because they're not ready to deal with whatever's going on or whatever. And I feel like that's why we get people like, and I was watching a thing. I want to shout out a YouTuber called a, it's actually the YouTube channel is called We're in Hell. <laughs> um, it's this great Canadian guy um, uh, who talks a lot about like he he talks from like a social sociology standpoint and things. He's very educated in like that kind of thing. But he was riffing on um, uh, Jordan Peterson and his daughter Michaela Peterson. And they're all meat diet. They're all all beef diet. Yeah. That they do, which is highly unhealthy. <laughs> but they claim has like cured all of their ailments. They've like stopped taking their antidepressants. Uh, and they claim that they just taking eating nothing but steak. And not just not just only eating steak. They don't salt it. They don't use pepper. There's like it's just bland, fucking disgusting. Like and they post pictures of it. It's just like this gross, sad looking steak. Put a little garlic. Or something but the, in and it. it's 
a part of it is they're uh, they're trying, and, and, and it, I think she's inherited this from her dad because he is this incel type of macho thing, even though he's not that. Where he thinks that you know the male uh, ideal is being a carnivore, eat meat and fucking eat, take care of your business, you know. But like, but he's also this like Kermit the Frog fucking. <laughs> he's like, I don't know if you've ever heard Jordan Peterson talk, but he's like, I yeah, just, yeah. I just think like, oh, oh, boy, boy, you know, and, <laughs> and it's like the opposite of how he is, and it's just like you're trying to live up to this ideal because you don't because you have clearly have mental uh issues that you're not addressing and you're replacing that with this diet that's just like and the way she talks about it too about like uh she's she's like the lion's diet the lion diet like of like being the apex predator and it's like we were already that without <laughs> acting like a lion. We're already destroying the fucking planet. We're already like overfishing and overhunting. You know, it's like we are the alpha. Uh, if that if that's what you want to be, like I can drive a car and I can kill most yeah, things with it. You can run over protesters with your car and fucking <laughs> you know, <or> whatever. <laughs> that's a terrible joke, but like, <laughs> like you're not not the alpha. Like, calm the fuck down. You know what I mean? And like, like we are the apex predator. Like, chill the fuck out. But like the, the it, but my point is, it is a replacement, in a lot of ways, for addressing the issues that I think a lot of. I think it's weird when people do stuff like that because it's a lot about the iconography and the archetypes. Yeah. It's like you're using a symbol as a shield. Yeah. And rather than defining your own identity, you're finding something that you can adopt, and it's this thing you're adopting is already powerful in and of itself. Yeah, so it's like secondhand power, which is kind of fallible. Um, I do think I think what's missed is like, so I used to run when I worked overnights. I would like be up all night working the overnight shift at Walgreens, and I'd come home, and my wife at the time would go to work, and my daughter would go to daycare, and I would either like just stay up on Reddit on my iPad. Or I'd stay up and watch Netflix while I'm also on my iPad on Reddit. At some point, something triggered me to go running. And I would go, started to go run every day. And man, it was great for a long time. And one little thing happened and I fell off of it. And so I've never had that long a streak again. I've started again from time to time, but I would go running, I'd listen to music or I'd listen to podcasts. And it's such a great mental health piece because we're not meant to like, there's some mean that, Oh, you um, you sit in a box for nine hours staring at a screen, only processing the requests of other people. And if you can't tolerate that for that many hours consecutively... What were we talking about? Oh, well, like, one of those things when I would go running, I think it's a missed opportunity for most people because whenever I would do it, it was a healthy mental thing. Yeah. Like, there's a space that you get to where when you want to stop and you have to make yourself make this choice to keep going, like you start to see how many times in your day that you are choosing to not do something you should. Yeah, you you're not pushing yourself. Yeah, and you haven't made that practice of making the hard decision, and I'm super fucking terrible about I'm really that. really bad about that. And there's a book I have that one of the things it recommends is when you take a shower in the morning, um, when you finish your shower, turn it to cold water, and there's a breathing exercise that it says to do before you do this. You do the breathing exercise, and you hit it to cold, and you stand there for a minute or two minutes. 
in just the cold water. And they said, they said, it'll replace your cup of coffee. Like, because of naturally what those cold shock proteins that are released in your body will do. And especially, plus, it helps you develop that whole, I want to bitch out right now. And you don't. Like, I want to stop because yeah. this is uncomfortable. I don't like it. And I can hit stop any minute I want to, but I'm not going to. I've tried it once. And I made it maybe 15 seconds. And I do not want to do it again. Yeah. And that is bullshit. Yeah. And it help, but what it helps me see is, oh my God. How so many, many times, times? How many times do I not make that phone call? How yeah. many times do I not immediately respond to that email? Uh, so what the that. fuck am I doing right now? I will like I will like not make a phone call that will like help me so much. Like I will I will like like um I've been unemployed. I'll full disclosure for months. I mean, I've been looking for about 2 months, but I was for a while waiting back for that bar job to call me back. Yeah. Which I probably shouldn't have been waiting on them, but uh and it it's just like this like barrier of like what if I call them and then they're like they don't want to talk to me or like they just, you know I don't get the job and it's like that barrier of like but if you don't call them you don't know you know so like yeah it's like it's a mental thing of like yeah that's a good way to put it is like constantly not pushing yourself because it's easier and it's path of least resistance and it's habit those two things coming together. It's, it's so easier easy to, to not do. It's easier to not do the hard thing. And I always choose to not do the hard thing. Next thing you know, this is who you are as a person. Yeah. It fucking sucks. Like, I I realize I don't look like it because I'm, I'm a skinny guy. I have a high metabolism. But I'm in the worst shape of my life. And, like, I live in an apartment complex that has a free gym. I've never once even been in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm constantly like, "Hey, babe, we should go to the gym over there." <laughs> over there. Yeah, we should go. We should go to the fitness center. And she's like, "Yeah, it would." And we're both guilty of it. Like, yeah, we should. Yeah, we'll do that one day this week. We don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it's. It's really hard to like, and it's, and I think a lot of it too is it's especially hard when there's so much other shit going on in the world that you're worried about and you know everything's so dark and like depressing but like at the same time i feel like if we if i just did it like i feel better see this is where it struck me but it's don't what struck me about what you were saying about mental health and then physical health fitness and the relationship between the two is because there's reasons that i don't go out and pursue my physical fitness and it comes back to all of the re- the same reason that I don't do all these other things to improve or that I want to do or that I've misprioritized my time there's some root thing deeper 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 that's a mental health issue and yeah. it's like um, it's kind of like a vicious circle cycle where like where does it start like uh, like like what uh, that Austin Powers movie like, oh, I eat because I'm unhappy I hate myself and I hate myself because I eat like, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah, there's so many. Like, I don't do as many of the things that I love because of, of some other depressive part. But I would be happier if I did those things. So why am I not? Where does it yeah. begin? Where does it end? Where's where's the link? Where's the way in? Yeah, and you start to resent yourself, too, for, like, 
not doing those things, even though you continue to choose not to. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. That's the worst part. It's it 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 not only it's when you're aware of it makes part. your life worse. It makes your self view worse. Yeah. And here's the part I guess in the podcast where I'm just gonna. I want to put out a message. People need to prioritize mental health. And I don't just mean on a personal level. I think we all, everyone, whatever your political views are, we all need to advocate for public mental health care. I think that it needs to be treated in the same way that you would treat uh, cancer or heart disease, or any of that. Like, there are preventative and uh, cumulative steps that you can take to improve mental health, especially if you start as a kid. Like, if you can get people on that early, people can lead, lead much more fulfilled lives. And I know this because when I was a kid and my mom... And I was under the care of my mother. I was, my mental health was cared for. I wasn't necessarily putting in the work because I didn't know, hey, you know, I'm a kid. I, you know, I'm, I'm just having a hard time and I think all this shit is bullshit because I'm, I'm having a hard time. But as I've come to be older, I've realized that I needed that. And it was helping me. But then I turned 18 or not. Well, my mom supported me longer than a little bit more after that, but I did too. When I, my point is, when I moved out and I became independent, that support was no longer there. I couldn't afford to take care of my own mental health, and so it's deteriorated. And I'm probably at the worst mental health I've ever had. Uh, and I, well, maybe not. I, I feel a lot better than I did maybe six months ago. But my point is, I haven't addressed any of those issues, so it's really just a feeling. I feel a little better, but my mental health is not changed um i just if you if you got something going on and you can afford it go get help if you can't advocate uh lobby talk to like call your congressman call your your state senators and all that advocate for publicly publicly funded mental health and that is a super important thing that i think a lot of people need to be more vocal about and uh, care about, and uh, I think it would help a lot of people, and I think they would do a lot towards making this country a better place for everybody. Man, we're right at two hours. Yeah. I appreciate you coming out. This has yeah. been awesome. I want to come out again. We yeah. should do this again. This is entirely the reason that I started doing this, is so, because in what other capacity would I sit a friend down at a table, look him in the eye for two hours, and just not a TV on. I haven't checked my phone. Yeah, that's mentally healthy for me. I feel really good. Yeah. I feel like I feel really like almost like cleansed. Yeah. Uh, that sounds kind of hippy dippy, but like especially coming out of the pandemic though too. Like yeah. we're just now oh. vaccinated. Oh. Vaccinated. I think. Yeah. Most people are at a in debt of social interaction and true engagement. We're, on a, we're running on a deficit of, yeah. of that. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so. Is there a phrase or an idea or an ideal that you have gleaned from your life thus far? Like mine is, I've gone into detail before, but in short, I usually think of it as everything's everything all of the time. 
And an easier way to say that is the way that you do anything is the way that you do everything. So if you see somebody who like builds cabinets and they're the finest crafted, everything's immaculate and just even and matches and fits seamless into the fixtures. It's like that motherfucker has some discipline and attention, skill and knowledge. Wow. He probably makes a motherfucker of a steak. But if you see somebody like, like me, who my, my, my world is a little bit mismatch, a little bit mixed up, and that's generally how I am. That's how my thoughts are. And I'm kind of okay with that. It sparks kind of creativity. It's something that I, I, I have uh, kind of made an identity out of. But it holds true to what I said. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. Is there anything that you have that you've kind of come away from your years with that you just feel sums up what you've learned? Uh, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Um, and this is more personal, but I think that a lot of people do probably need to hear it. Um, something I've learned recently, hold people accountable for how they act. And I mean that when it, like, if they're family, if they're friends, doesn't matter. Hold people accountable for their actions. Call people out when they're being shitty to other people. Because a lot of times what happens, and this isn't this isn't a, a this is a non specific statement of just how my family tends to operate. Um, and I love my family. They're amazing people. But sometimes even in within a family, uh, people are shitty to each other. And a lot of times, because it's family, people just kind of let that go. Don't be that person. Call people out, even if you care about them. Especially if you care about them. Because if you really care about them, you'll want them to be better to, be better to the people around them that you also care about. So, hold people accountable. Perfect. All right, man. Uh, thanks for coming out. Have a safe drive. Channel 33 signing off.